He's whole shot. I'm light pod. We are the truck show podcast. How you guys doing? I don't think that's correct. No, <laughs> but we are uh, fresh back from SEMA, which was awesome. Uh, I don't think I've worked that many hours since last week. I'm I'm dead. I actually died. <laughs> no, I'm I did dead. have to revive you. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that time I had to call uh, security over. Was with... that the time that I was sleeping and you thought that I was I was like hunched over? Oh no no you you did actually die. We I had to give you mouth to mouth. You just aren't aware of it. I've been embarrassed to uh, admit that to you to this point. <laughs> yeah yeah that's what I that's basically the same look I had on my face. Yeah I'm sure. But you're here. I just I I wasn't I uh, couldn't afford a new podcast host yet. I am so. not sure I appreciate that. I was enjoying you, death. You, <laughs> you look peaceful. It's the first time I've seen I, you in ten years where I, you had a peaceful look on your face. I was resting. Yeah forever. Yeah. And yeah. then you had to shake me. Well, there's that old adage, you know, I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And yeah. I thought, hmm, he's sleeping. This, this, yeah, <laughs> and, he, and he's dead. And he's dead. Yeah, no, I'm, we I'm here. Uh, we pulled out like twelve hour days, four days in a row. Mm-hmm. You know what we do when we're done giving? Give some more. We give some more. Well, right. we did that. And uh, hopefully you guys appreciated it because it was a major pain in the ass, but it, we, we we enjoy it. Like, there's, you can tell. You listen to us. I, we're, we're I'm not so it. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're good actors. I love it. No, that's BS, dude. You, yeah, we're, we are bad it. actors. We had some seriously and, awesome guests at SEMA. Yeah. You realize, like, I was working, you were working, and we had to squeeze in, like, a few hours of podcast a day while we were doing all of our other SEMA obligations. Uh, you were in the Yams Oil booth, uh, which uh, that stupid truck that you're working on. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Great, great, awesome project that you're working on. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, thank you, uh, Banks. Great, awesome project that you're working on. Got I see a, how you've turned your yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, change yeah. your tune. Yeah, got, a, got a hell of a lot of uh, attention out there. And then I was doing- uh, What did you what, what did you think of it, by the way? Uh, I thought it was uh, it was better better than what I expected coming from you. <sighs> it wasn't your normal gaudiness. <sighs> You you shifted a gear and you showed that you've got some range, some range in your vision. Hmm. Uh, and then I hosted some SEMA stuff, and then we basically podcasted the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had your son Quinn, who uh, Gavin. He's no, still no, Gavin. It's, it's Quinn. It's still Gavin. No, it's Quinn. You, I don't know how many times you're going to call my oldest. Quinn. It's pretty funny though. It is funny. Uh, anyway, so Gavin was there. Uh, he was acting as our producer. And uh, kind of air traffic control for all of our guests. We had, what, 20-something guests showed up? I think it's, it was like 60. Oh, it felt like it 100. Felt like, it yeah, felt if, like, if it wasn't 100. 600. Normally, you know, there's all the after parties, and you go out to dinner with, like, clients and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not this year. No, nope, straight to the hotel. Well, we would eat, and we would leave the convention floor, go straight to the hotel. You left? For me. I actually stayed in the booth the entire time. I <laughs> brought a pillow and a jacket. I did, yeah. Yeah, they just thought I was homeless. There's enough of those people in Vegas that they figured... I was a homeless person. They tried to kick me out, saw that I had the 24-hour credentials, uh-huh. and they just left me, let me sleep. Oh, that's nice. They actually also they thought didn't. I was dead once, too. Oh, did, so, they, yeah. did they resuscitate you with uh, mouth-to-mouth? No, no. I, uh, I, I made sure I vomited uh, <laughs> beforehand and let it dry so nobody would touch me. Oh, gotcha. It was in yeah. your beard. Yeah, yeah it was definitely. I would just leave, go right to, luckily we were staying in the Westgate next door, and I would go- Oh, you my, were. I did. You weren't. You were in that new Fluton hotel down the street. The monorail will drop you off, and like it's all made of diamonds, that one. And uh, so we'd go to my little Westgate. Uh, my my kid and I were were crashing up there, and I would edit and Quinn, Gavin, st- oh, still Gavin, it. yep. And uh, I would edit and send him down. My brother. How many times town. have I called uh, Gavin Quinn or Quinn Gavin in the last like three years? All of them. All of the times. Yeah. All the times. Yes. I'm like I don't know which one you are. I the tall one is. Gavin, the yeah. older one, and the younger one is Gavin. It's Quinn. It's also Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, no, I, I let him know that Uncle Sean appreciated him uh, putting in the, the hours. Okay. But this podcast, we have our friend Shane Kassad from Bill Stein coming on to talk about uh, aftermarket shocks. No, wait, this is Shaw, uh, Shane's, uh, he's been on for the second? Is, I don't know. Two or three. Two or three? Like that. Yeah, yeah. You hooked up with him somewhere like uh, Off-Road Expo, something like that, right? Yeah, previously. Yeah. Okay. He's, been, he's definitely been on the show before. Um, he's on the he's on the aftermarket side. He's on the Jason aftermarket. From Jason Engelman, who last time he was on, who talked about TRX and Bronco shocks and all he that was, kind of stuff. He was an engineer. He was on the OE side. Right, okay. So we're and kind of bringing the aftermarket side of the house to talk about uh, some of the things that they've got going on and, and to demystify Bill Stein's uh, numbering. Of of their shock uh, lines because they have fifty one oh twos and eight thirteens, uh, forty six hundreds and fifty one hundred, fifty one sixty, sixty one hundred, sixty one twelve, seventy one hundred. What does it all 8100, mean? Eighty one hundred, eighty one twelves. This is like I, that I scene where Einstein said all the numbers and they yeah, like, it's all just flurring around yeah, all around yeah. his head. Uh, all I know is they work really well. I'm a fan. Uh, you're a fan, and uh, we'll we'll dig in with them. But first, we have to thank Nissan because uh, we love Nissan, and uh, if you're looking for a new truck. You should at least have Nissan on your list of trucks to uh, check out because I think you might be surprised if you haven't checked out a Nissan truck in the past. Why do you think? They will. They will be surprised. Uh, well, I just think it's one Same of the best underrated models. trucks out there. I think that you know people you know have a truck brand in mind and they don't cross shop. And I think that if you were to go to your local Nissan dealer and check out the new Frontier, which is an awesome – they're hard to keep in stock right now. Those things are every time I go by the dealer, there's never any, you know. And I went by Cerritos Nissan because they're right across the way from Harkins, and where how I get my popcorn. Right. I haven't got any popcorn from you in a while. I by owe the way. you some. I absolutely, owe you some. Yeah, absolutely. Ten bucks a bag is the best popcorn on the planet. It is. It is good popcorn, and they give you the butter flavored oil with it too, which is yes. which is clutch. Oh, so damn good. So good. Anyway, so it's literally right next door, and I just I, I drive through as I do to to drool a little bit. None. Zero. 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 Yeah. They, they, they're selling like crazy. I can't wait to see what the uh, sales numbers are. I know that they're impacted a little bit by the uh, the chip shortage, but uh, I've started to see a few on the on the road in the wild, which is really cool. And then, of course- I have not seen one. I've been looking every day, and I've not seen one. So I don't know where they're going, if they're shipping them overseas, but people are buying them and like- <laughs> and They're, they're, they're hoarding them. Yeah. Listen, if you're in the market for a half-ton truck, you can always check out the Nissan Titan and Nissan Titan XD, industry's best warranty, five-year, 100,000 miles. So if, and you can build and price the Nissan truck of your dreams at NissanUSA.com. And uh, you guys may have noticed from our SEMA coverage, we picked up another sponsor uh, for the next year. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the company Bonks. Uh, it, no, Bonkins. no, it, it's it's Bankus. Bankus. Yeah, Bankus. Got it. Uh, Bankus Poe. Oh, where? It's, uh, it's, wait a minute. It's strangely oh, it's, familiar. It's Banks Power. It's like the one that's on my shirt right so here. So I actually don't have any text from you because the guy who does their marketing mm-hmm. hasn't emailed me with what the company would like to promote on the podcast. So I'm actually going to let you do this read by yourself well, because you're the only guy in this room that knows what you want to talk about. That's that's not true. You know some of the company priorities. I know some of the company products. I'm not, I don't sit in your your priority meetings. I don't know what the company line should be. We're going to hatch this out in real time right now. So Gail Banks started a company in 1958 in a single car garage. And today it's a campus of 11 buildings and Banks offers performance products for your truck, the truck you're driving most likely if it's a late model truck. Uh, all the way from five nines, uh, so coming five nines to 6.7 liter uh, Cummins trucks to Ford, uh, Duramax, mainly diesel, but a lot of uh, gas applications as well. So if you're looking for better performance or fuel economy, Banks Power has it for you. It's bankspower.com. Enter your year, make, model, and see what we've got for you. Uh, I believe you guys have uh, awesome gauges, like mm-hmm. the iDash, yes, which I'm a huge fan of, and I use every day in uh, in my Wrangler. And Yeah, you've got one on your A-pillar on the top left-hand corner. And someday there will be two of them in my F100, allegedly. 
There will be. Yeah, they're in the dash. They are the dash. Flush mounted right in the dash. Uh, allegedly. So don't, can don't we, you have an upgraded iDash coming at some point? Don't say that yet. Oh, I can't say I that I want yet. them to buy the current one. Got it. You need to sell out on those. Absolutely. Okay, before we announce what's coming. So, we, we, so in the next year, you've got some product news coming we, out. We do have some product news, for sure, for sure. What uh, if I want an intake? What it, we have those. The Ram Air Exhaust? Yes, we have a five-inch monster What exhaust. if I want a uh, emissions-friendly power pack upgrade? It's not just emissions-friendly. It's 50-state legal, my friend. What if I want a 50-state emissions legal uh, power upgrade for my diesel truck? You mean like a six-gun or a Derringer tuner? I don't know. You Got tell you me. covered. Yes, absolutely. Up to 100 horsepower addition. All right, so bankspower.com. Absolutely. All day, every day. <laughs> And of course, we've got to thank our friends over at DuralastParts.com. It's not just a house brand. It is the leading brand in the automotive aftermarket. Known for its OE quality, OE grade construction, and priced lower than OE parts. What? Duralast parts are trusted by hundreds of thousands of professionals and installed on millions of vehicles on the road today. More technicians choose Duralast parts. Lightning, that's a proven claim. You can head to DuralastParts.com or down your local AutoZone and pick up whatever you need to keep your old truck on the road. Holman, you cool if we start the show? Uh, hold on. Yeah, I'm ready. I just uh, let me take a sip of this Dr. Pepper because I'm still recovering from Vegas. I'm, I'm because you bought all that Dr. Pepper for the booth. Mm -hmm. I drank about twelve a day, <laughs> and I this I have a watered down version He's here. Not exaggerating. I, I'm trying to come down <laughs> off of it right I now. See. I'm actually shaking still. Hold on. No, hold on. <laughs> He's shaking. He's legit. <sighs> I let you keep me for an hour, mm. maybe two. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck. Because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted. We have the lowered and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The Truck Show. The Truck The Truck Show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. Uh, he's over there drinking a Dr. Pepper that's like uh, all watered down with ice. And here's me sucking down a Red Bull. Oh, dude, this, dude, this, we are um, so unhealthy right now. Uh, we I sat I in care. the booth so much talking to people, mm -hmm. I can't even feel my voice. You can't feel your voice? No, but I can feel my gut because I literally, <laughs> there, well, there were days we didn't even eat food. We just drank whatever's in these shiny aluminum cans. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, don't go for a physical in like the next month. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude. My fat index or body mass index or whatever. It's All like, of it. it. No, it's like a thousand to one or whatever it is. <laughs> it's just, they're it's just, like, we actually don't have any other molecules but fat in here. Oh, my God. I Dude. Seema wrecks you. Can, can we recap for just a second? And wearing masks the whole time doesn't help. No. Well, luckily, we didn't have to do it when we were doing the interviews. But walking around, talking to people Ugh. through the hallways and stuff. Yeah, that, that sucked. That blew. But I was I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, there had been a, a lot of companies pulled out, but there were still so many that were in, so many Dude, key advertisers. It, it was, was awesome. Yeah. It was, I think SEMA was rad because even with some of the big guys that were gone. You did have some Ford. room. Dude, Ford was still there. Yeah. GM was still there. Yes. Mopar and, and Ram were still there. Nissan, Toyota. Nissan was there. I know. I mean, all, everybody, right? So you know, all the OEs were still there. And here's the other thing. Yeah, some of the big aftermarket companies pulled out, but think of how many small and medium businesses got- a share of voice they never would have had before. You mean got on our show? Well, yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> yeah. But just in general, like you didn't have the big guys making all the news. So a lot of these newer products and stuff that came out was awesome because these guys actually could get their message out to people. There wasn't as much noise. I mean, there's always going to be noise yeah. 
in marketing at SEMA, but I just think it was a great opportunity for smaller well, companies. But, but look to at this. So, so like, can we take can we take my company for example? And we're just not going to turn it like a big bank's plug. But um, so for example, like Banks is not a, a big company. It's we have 150 employees. We're not like Edelbrock or Holly or one of those with thousands of employees or anything like that. We were able to get some good press with Lockjaw. I think you were at the booth at Amsoil, and um, it was it was super cool. And we had we had a lot of attention, which was really neat. You know, I, know I don't care about any of that. What I care about is who's going to do the first donut in that thing, in the cul-de-sac in front of the uh, Banks building. So the first I reserved the first one to Ryan Kibbe. Now, as far as like externally. Hmm. Internally, we said Gail would do it, and I think Gail will probably be the first one to do it. Yeah, I just want—I want to see Gail. I, I hope somebody does a slow motion hooning video of Gail doing burnouts and donuts and that thing. It will be. It needs epic. to happen. All, all dumped like it on the ground, fully, fully. I mean, fully maxed out. The right height is like I've got almost no gap. It's like six inches off the ground, full, full out, fully extended. The uh, the airbags all the way up. It's like six inches off the ground. What'd you think of the wheels? Yeah. You didn't care for them, did you? Um, they were polarizing, dude. Yeah, I just those didn't, wheels were I, polarizing. I, I, it's not that I didn't like the wheels. I didn't know that they fit the build, in my opinion. I thought the wheels that were rendered on there were a better fit. Oh, so the uh, the black rhinos, they were kind of a military I don't feel. really like those wheels, but I liked them on Lockjaw as it was. I didn't, they just, they, they just felt wrong. It all happened it, with two weeks left before SEMA, where we uh, Whipple was machining the supercharger, and Kibi Tech was doing the billet intake manifold, and we were doing all the pieces. And there's one big inlet, these uh, a twin ram inlet that goes into the supercharger in the front drive. These massive, they look like uh, horns coming out of the supercharger that go forward down into the into the grill to into the air boxes. Anyway, all of that just came out of like the machine shops at various uh, within a couple of days, all billet, and we were going to seracote them silver and red. And because we debuted a new seracote, we got to talk to Tim O'Malley, by the way, from seracote. They've got some really cool stuff coming out here. Anyway, so we we had a Banks Red that came out. We were going to do this, all this cool stuff. So anyway, Gail sees it, like uh, gets pictures from our buddy Dustin Whipple. Like all raw billet, he goes, "No, we're not painting any of that stuff. Like it's crazy, blame. Yeah. Guys love this stuff. Let's go nuts." So everything just went. What would have been cool is if it was uh, uh, coated down below in the valleys and then polished on the top. That would look cool. Uh so I mean, it, it, the whole block was coated red. The block, but the, not the not the supercharger. The correct, correct. Yeah. I'm saying if the supercharger was matched the block, but the, the high the high points of it were polished would look kind of cool. Like a little flathead V8 from Ford where you did the fins. Right. You know, that yeah. kind of look. This was just all straight bling. A lot, lot more bling than we expected. We wanted a lot of muted colors because, that I mean, we left all the rust no, and no, all no, the stuff No, 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 but that's cool. That, that's fine. The truck's muted. Yeah. The parts are shiny. That's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, that's that's so what that's we did. Cool. And so it was it was all the – and the wheels have little fins. So if you guys, if you go to, uh, I don't know, Lockjaw C20 on Instagram or just go to Banks Park, whatever, you'll see it. Go to drivingline.com. They've got a whole bunch of stories on it. But so these wheels that our friend Jonathan at Spark did, right, 22-inch wheels, and he really wanted to have really cool aesthetics, uh, an old did – you, did you notice it had windows, like old Chevy-style windows that were kind of baked into the wheel? Yeah, it was cool. But then it had, like, these weird shark's fins all the way around it to draw air out of the wheel. I don't know. It was really – it's polarizing without any question. People were like, I love those or I don't get it. I hate them. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. But you know, polarizing but, you know, is it, how it, you uh, is how you get people. That's exactly right. You don't want vanilla because then just people walk right by and they don't pay attention. And uh, all that work on the articulating bed, which think. Anyway, super successful SEMA. Really appreciate it. Holman and I uh, thankful for you guys coming out. We had we gave a bunch of stickers away, stuff like that, and uh, it was guest of Palooza. So I'm just happy to uh, to have it behind me. 
because uh, I'm leaving again for another trip, and then I get back and I leave for another trip. So anyway, uh, not to bore you with all the things that we're doing, let's uh, get to our first guest. You're talking about Shane Kassad from Bill Stein? Stein. Bill Stein. I know. I just did that to poke you. Mr. Sean Holman, how do you feel about talking shocks? Maybe high-quality dampers, high-quality struts, uh, upper control arms. Well, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Bill Stein shocks, and we uh, last time we had Jason Eagleman on. Time out. Yes. You, since when do you like Bill Stein? Uh, since the since they started promoting uh, this podcast and uh, telling people to come listen. Uh, so this time uh, we're gonna have Shane Kassad back. He's the uh, head of product management, uh, and we're gonna focus on the aftermarket side. So last time we talked about all the cool TRX and ESCVs and Broncos and mm-hmm. things like that, and I figured this would be a good opportunity to uh, see what Bill Stein has. Uh, in the aftermarket side. Will he pull back the curtain and be as forthright as Jason was when we had him on? Nope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Appreciate the honesty. Hello. Guy! What is that? Hello, guy. What's up, guy? What are you doing? Wait, why are you introducing him like that? We're supposed to say, hey, is this Shane Kassad? It's Lightning and Almond Truck Show Podcast. What are no, you doing yelling at it? That's him? not how Shane and I do it. Oh, really? You just yell guy back no, and forth? Pretty much. Guy. Guy. Well, this is weird. Yeah, he'll he'll call me, and uh-huh. I'll answer the phone, and he'll be like, guy. Or I'll call him, guy. Uh-huh. Or we'll text each other, and the first thing is capital G-U-Y with an exclamation, guy. So then do I say guys? No. No, you're not part of this. <laughs> oh, I'm not included. No, no, we've, we've been doing this for, what do you think, Shane? 17, 18 years? Probably over 20. <laughs> guy. So should I step out and let, just yeah, let you yeah, guys I like mean, do I, these mating I, calls I, back and forth? No, it's not a mating call. It's a bro call. Oh, it's bro call. Okay. Yeah. And we, this also our buddy uh, uh, Scott over at Deaver, too. He mm-hmm. uh, He's also one, of the, uh, one guy, of the guys. One of the guys who can yell guy to the other guys. Huh. How did that start? Sometimes we have group texts and we guy each other. That's all it is? Just guy? Just guy. guy, guy yeah. Right? Yeah. Huh. I, don't, I don't even remember how it started. Shane might. I don't well, even I don't remember. Way back in the day when we were... In sales, answering the phones, you would all. If somebody called you guy, it was really rude, and some people didn't know that it was rude. So, it was just a joke that started way back when. So guy, basically us being rude to each other and then laughing about so it. So, is that like man or bro? Yeah, it's like when hey, it's a customer. Hey, guy, don't you ever have anybody call you at banks be like, guy, listen, here's what I got. I need you to fix it, guy. No. And then you feel demeaned? No. No? Not, not often. Uh-uh. Okay. Well. I've hung up on him before he gets to that <laughs> point. Yeah. And that's the difference between why you're in <laughs> not in sales. No, no, that's not true. Hey, uh, we can't talk to you because we have a quick intro. Do a move. It's the inside job, baby. Yes, it is. It's the inside job now. Uh-huh. It's the inside job, baby. It's time for you to share what you do. Uh-huh. Now, Shane, I don't think we've brought you on with that uh, particular intro before. But, but he's been on. What, what number is this? Is this two or three for you? This is the second time I've been on. Yeah, because we had you on at uh, Off-Road Expo uh, a long time right, ago. Right, right, right. Long, long time ago. Pre-COVID, that's how long ago it was. Like it was back like... <laughs> back when we didn't have to wear masks and things <laughs> like that to yeah. gather. Uh, before we jump into what you're doing today, how did you end up at Bill Stein? What were you doing? What was the, your, your previous life? Were you into off-roading or what's the story there? My goal in life, besides becoming a drummer, was to be a. I was into off-road racing, and so when I was uh, in college, basically all I wanted to do, except for play the drums, was go to off-road races. And uh, so I used to go to the Fireworks 250 and Bob 500 and stuff back in the late 80s and 90s, and 
anyways, Bill Stein was involved in that back in those days pretty heavily. And uh, after a few years, I, I basically went to every single score race and for 10 years straight. So it was it was a great time back then when I was younger. <laughs> and uh, had a lot of great experiences over the years. But uh, that's what got me into it. I was in the off-road racing and Dolstein. At the time, we didn't even do like lifted truck shocks or our, one of our highest selling products is a 5100 series. We didn't even have that back then. So uh, we, we used the uh, off-road uh, racing mounting socks essentially to kind of get into that, into the, you know, the light truck space. And uh, it's worked out really good. But yeah, that was good times back then. I used to work for uh, Doug Robertson. He was like a multi-time, you know, bottle of thousand champion. And I got to meet all, all my favorites. So all the people I looked up to over the years, like back when I was uh, younger. So it was a good run. But yeah, it's quite a bit different now that the industry it is. So for me, uh, kind of growing up in the uh, automotive industry as a young journalist, even before that, when I was just reading magazines, Back then, all the cool off-road trucks had Bilsteins on them. And you're like, oh, dude, it has Bilsteins. That's, is this, that's uh, awesome. Is this pre-beard? This is pre-beard. This is pre, uh, pre-journalist, pre all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then when I when I got into, and I remember some of the better lift kits at the time came with Bilsteins and not like white Gabriel or Monroe's or something that just had a sticker on them. They were actually like a cool monotube shock, like RCD back in the day. And RCD. so RCD. So I met Shane as a young journalist. And uh, he and I hit it off. And now, hold on, Holman. When you met Shane, was he drumming on Pearl, Tama, or Gretsch? Uh, I don't know. He's like, what are you, Shane? He's Pearl. He's a Pearl, Pearl guy. Pearl guy. Pearl guy. And, and are you uh, are you a Zildjian symbol guy, or what do you prefer on your hi hat? Zildjian. 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 There you go. See. All right, he's my man. I, right. I, had, a, I had a set of you, Pearl you drums. Approve? You yeah. Approve? All right, so uh, we did a couple projects together. And one of the uh, the first projects we did was uh, on my uh, Ranger, so I had a 2002 Ranger FX4, and it went through a few variations. And uh, the best one was the one with the 9100s, four-wheel drive, supercharger stick, 14 inches of travel with a Dixon Brothers racing you kit had on the front. 9100s on there? Yeah. And then the rear, we had 17 inches of travel with uh, smooth bodies and Devers. And that thing was awesome, and we built the bed cage so that my Col- or my um, yeah, I guess it was Coleman Extreme Cooler could get strapped in the bed cage. <laughs> it, yeah, Shane knows where we're going with this, and uh, we went down. Steve von Segren, who used to oh, uh, you're gonna be tell my you, boss you, a long you time ago, it out, didn't you? No, you, you chucked it. No, uh, Steve used to be my boss, is now now works at Bilstein. But back then, we were going down to go chase the race, and we were on the road to San Felipe. And if you know next to the highway, it's all whooped out. So I wanted to test the new suspension out, and we're doing like 55, 60 down the highway, and Shane's in the Bilstein Ranger, and I'm like, hey, look at me, and he's like, where are you? And we're like, look to your right, and Shane looks over, and we're just eating up these whoops on the side of the road at highway speeds, and it was it was awesome. And then I remembered, oh, crap, I have Corona bottles in my cooler. Not anymore. Not one of them was broken. Oh, really? Yeah, not one of them was broken, and in fact- we almost lost my uh, Ranger in the Sea of Cortez as we were taking pictures, and the tide started to come in. We, I remember we got drunk off Consuelas that night. Consuelas. Yeah. That was uh, Laguna Persibu. Persibu, that's right. Yeah, so in, we slept under Palapas, and I remember that uh, we would cross the highway to go watch the race, and there were, uh, it was one of the first times. That might have been the first time I ever went down to Baja to go watch the, uh, the Thousand. And then I ended up racing in it with, you know, who later mm-hmm. on down the line. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and what that was just one of our adventures. I've I've done uh, wide open Baja, where the best beer I've ever had. People go, what's the best beer? Shane and I are in the wide open Baja car. So Bill Stein had invited me down because they took a bunch of friends of the company down, and they're like, listen, thank you for everything you've done. We don't want you to write a story about this. We just want you to come have fun. And invited me down, got paired up with Shane, and just had a blast down on the peninsula. We're going through, like, before one of our last stops, we go through this, like, just full-on mud and effluent-filled creek and just splashed all over us. You're hot, you're dirty, you're sweaty. And somebody handed us cold Tecates at the end of uh, the end of that trip, and we were they were so they were so delicious. Did you hear? <laughs> oh yeah, we were parched. I didn't care that it was Tecate at all at the moment. We sat in the car and drank most of it. Yeah, there's a picture. We got out. <laughs> yeah, there's a picture of us still belted in drinking uh, cold beer at the end of that trip. But uh, but yeah, we've had a, a bunch of uh, good times over the years. We've gotten a bunch of uh, wheeling trips. By the way, check your email. I sent you one for uh, coming up too. So you got to do that. Yeah, that's great. Another uh, another trip you're going on that that I'm not. Perfect. I, well, I haven't decided if you're coming or not yet. Oh, harsh, <laughs> harsh, freaking. Hey, uh, when did you join the Billstein team, and how did that exactly happen? You were in and around the Billstein guys, but then at what point did they offer you a gig? It was like straight out of college in 1997. I just I wanted to get in the industry. I never had a interview with like Procom suspension, and then I found Billstein was hiring, so I you know got an entry level job. In customer service, I've always liked shocks. The shocks are pretty interesting to me. Probably the most interesting part of the, uh, I've always been into suspension, but you know, shock absorbers are just, uh, you know, there's so much you can do with a, with a way a vehicle rides. I'm pretty fascinated with it. So I've stayed I've stayed around that long just because I, I just enjoyed dealing with shocks. Well, and I, I usually tell people on the show too, we get a lot of listeners who email us. I always say the most cost-effective first thing to do on any truck <laughs> Before you do anything else, is put a good set of shocks on it. You know, I've learned over the years of being an automotive journalist, there's a lot of things you can do, but that's the biggest difference, for the biggest bang for your buck, I think. It's funny. You were like, do the shocks, and I'm like, the radio. That's where we were. Yeah, yeah, but, radi- but radios are so good now. No, not anymore. It doesn't yeah. make any sense anymore. It's just now it's just shocks. <laughs> now go do, go do the shocks. Yeah. It makes a difference. I mean, so, Shane, let's talk about the aftermarket for you guys. Let's let's walk through, like, uh, the different series, because you've got the, the 4600s. You've got some of the you know the direct replacement all the way up to you know leveling kits, performance shocks, race kits, all that good stuff. And how many pages is the catalog? Is it just shy of thirty thousand? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah. We have uh, multiple levels now. He doesn't know. See, he doesn't know. He's <laughs> he's like I don't have a thumb like long enough to like flip through all the it's, pages. It's thick. It's thick. There's a lot of skews in there. Mm-hmm. Well, the catalog now is. Uh, online and so that's a bunch of uh excel files are <laughs> downloaded and there's thousands of lines <laughs> bill Stein invented the monotube gas pressure damper way back in the 50s and um somewhere around in the 80s we started building them for light trucks with uh general motors i believe like z71 package is probably one of the biggest things that was before my time but not bill Stein. but anyways monotube yellow Bilstein shocks and state-of-the-art for many many years probably 20 30 years before anybody you know before patents were up and uh other companies were able to copy that technology but so yeah our product line we have a and for light for the we call light truck but for the trucks it's um 4600 
is our stock height replacement shock. That's a monotube. It's like a performance replacement, essentially. And it's like a direct fit, but we tune the each specific application to, to use our technology to really give you a, a huge improvement over the cheaper shocks that you find on a, on a truck. And I, I'll just factory. throw in there really quick that I think that, uh, you know, back in the, you know, let's call it early to mid 90s, that was what was special about Bill Stein is it was tuned to your application. And now everybody says that today and a lot of people do do it. But back then it was just a, a standard, you know, 60, 40 shock, 60, you know, 60 percent valving on one side, 40 on the other, throw it on whatever. And Bill Stein would actually tune them to each. So, I mean, having yellow so shocks back in the day was a big deal. You're saying that you'd buy a, a Toyota truck and it had the same tuning as a Cadillac. I'm, I'm saying that <laughs> aftermarket <laughs> suspension manufacturers bought a shock and shoved it on everything. It was all about extended and collapse length and not about the tuning, you know, the tuning of the, the piston or anything inside. And they were all twin tubes and they would fade off road and you'd have these big tires and you go over washboards and your thing would feel like it's falling apart because you have cavitation and fade. And here you go out with these Bill Steins. And if you remember what uh, McPherson and some of those guys, the Rough Riders, I think even had them back in the day, you see all those Baja race trucks and they all had the yellow shocks. And now you could get the yellow shocks on your vehicle and have, you know, you weren't necessarily going to, you know, they're not 9100s, right? You're not going out bombing the desert, but you could go on a bunch of off-road trails and stuff and not have the fade and not have the loss of control and have just a better riding truck on the highway too. So I think that's where the Bilstein kind of popularity and the mystique around the brand came in. It was like, oh my God, they have these monotubes. It's racing technology. They stand out on my truck. Instead of a neon boot, it's a yellow shock, but it's tuned and, and people saw the benefits. Yeah, well, it's interesting. We got into the, the lifted truck market, which is our 5100 series, which is the biggest line that we have. But that started out because we did, we had, there's all these off-road racing fabrication shops and, and fab guys that would, that we'd sell race shocks to. And uh, like one of them being Camberg in Huntington Beach, they would, they started doing lift kits, like upper A-arm kits for Toyotas and for, you know, Ford TTB, like bent TTBs. And, you know, we would support their racing program, but they're developing these lift kits like way back, you know, these are like kind of the beginnings of like the long travel kits or mid travel kits. I think Fabtech was a big company back then that, that I think these are like really small companies, but we would, we started basically taking shocks from one application, like a Ford, you know, F-250 and put it on the front of a lifted Ford Ranger with a twin traction beam bent four inch lift. And that's how our lifted truck uh, line started. And then you mentioned RCD, RCD innovated a really badass suspension can I say that? Sorry. <laughs> yep. A really, a really innovative suspension. We say they, much worse. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're, you're good. fine. You're fine. <laughs> or they used like a, a lifted spindle. Not, not a lifted spindle. They used a, like it was like a cross member kit, but instead of like dropping the upper control arm, they did everything in the spindle and we got involved with them. And and that was that was the first like more mainstream lift kit Bill Stein was on. And that spawned our 5100 series. So the, the second level, so I, I guess the first level of like a lifted truck for us, kind of like your stage one would be a 5100 series. And now nowadays, people like really want some high performance shocks. So we have like, I would say like a mid stage, which is a, a 61, we call it a 6112. And then the rear application to that, so 5160. All these numbers are kind of crazy, I know, but um, they uh, basically the 6112 is a larger diameter, 60 millimeter shock, 
it's a kit comes with two shocks two springs and it really it's a bigger piston so it like really you know gives you a huge benefit especially like with the uh, the trucks now they're like coil over they come from the factory with these like really small under duty twin tube shocks like your f-150s and chevys and then you put like a 6112 on it it's like night and day difference yeah, i mean it's, it's, a, it's a huge difference and then let's so Going back to the millimeters, because a lot of guys listening are probably used to the American mm-hmm. piston sizing. So yes. the uh, the 5100 is a 46 millimeter, right? Yeah. And that's like a 1.97, so, like a- so it's basically the equivalent to a 2.0 shock. Well, what what do the yes. numbers mean, by the way? Well, the numbers, the 4600, 5100, 5160 are just their series. Okay. That's what Shane's yeah. explaining. 4600s, okay. direct <laughs> direct replacement, 5100s are going to be your step-up performance but shocks, I mean, did, longer travel. What I'm asking is, did they mean something in the very beginning? Uh, well, I, I think way back when, like, a lot of the shock companies used numbers, like like Rancho they, and ProComp and back. RS9000. <laughs> this is getting back into history. It, it was like, yeah. the, the higher 9, the number, the better it was. Uh, it's kind of like... You know, this numbering system is kind of crazy now, but we don't want to go back and rename the 5100 series. It's been around for years. So so it's just sort of a, the, a beast you live with. Yeah, exactly. So the higher the number, the better quality it is. So you go into a 6112 with a 6 in front of it. Um, the 6 is for 60 millimeter, which is basically a, a two and a half inch shot. Yeah, so a two, bit larger. 2.65, but it would go to yeah. the... So basically they're... 5100 series with a 46 millimeters equivalent to a 2.0 shock, and their 60 millimeter is equivalent to a 2.5. It's a, you know, just a couple tenths smaller on the uh, under two inch on the 46 millimeter, but it's actually point two uh, 2.65 on the 60 millimeter for the two and a half inch shock class. The 6112 is a really good value. Like I said, these like half ton trucks, they do wonders for those things. I, I don't, I have no idea why. Uh, manufacturer would release a half ton truck with a small twin tube shock it blows my mind cost. But, yeah uh, i mean it's just cheap bastards i mean we know that just cost it yeah. just yeah it just, i mean even look numbers. at look at the bill steins on like a uh, a toyota tacoma i think a trd sport or maybe it's an off-road not not the uh not the, to- the highest level but they're like you can get Bill Steins on them, but they're like a 40 millimeter piston or something like that. There's like these little skinny guys mm-hmm. and you get the benefit, yeah. uh, the benefit of a monotube, but you don't have a very big body. I mean, you still have, you know, that piston's working awfully hard when you go to push those things. Fine stock, yeah. but, but definitely a replacement. And going back to the 6112s that Shane's talking about, that's basically what the old TRD Pro Shock uh, was based on. And those things on a Forerunner, on a Tacoma are amazing amazing difference especially when you compare when you uh uh combine them with an upper control arm and we have a full line of those from you know we have them for chevrolets f-150s rams and uh they're very popular they work uh they work really good they're good value they've got a lifetime warranty and they they ball right on and you know so it's uh it's an easy it's an easy setup to do there's no maintenance or anything involved with them so it's great up from the 6112, we have a new series. And you could think of this as, uh, for lifted trucks, is maybe if you want to think of it as a stage. So your stage one would be your 5100 series. Your stage two would be your 6112. Your stage three is what we call an 8100 series. And that that's where it, it's starting to get fun because the market, uh, there's a big market for putting a, like a race shock on your truck with a remote reservoir and 
working in that product line for the last couple of years. And you were and, admittedly uh, a little slow to that uh, to that market, correct? Oh yeah, we're probably ten years late. Got it. <laughs> or maybe even more, probably like twelve years. One, late. one of the things that I love about Bill Stein, though. So I had a set of the prototype 8100s on my old JK, 2-2 bypass shocks. We'll get into bypasses in a second. But with a lot of manufacturers that use Heim joints and the bypass tubes are super loud and clicking and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The thing I loved about the 8100s that I had or 81, I guess they were, were those 8100s or 8112s? I guess they were. They're 8100 bypass. 8100 bypass on the old JK. The the thing was they made no noise. There's no squeaking and there's no parts to really wear out because- the bushings that the the shock eye was made out of the same material that you'd have on an OE shock. So drivability around town, you didn't have any of the harshness of some of the full race stuff that's all solid mounted with Himes and things like that that have no rubber, no isolation. But you get, you know, Bill Stein, because they supply so many manufacturers, whether it's Ram TRX, whether it's the Nissan Pro 4X stuff, uh, the Platinum Reserve on the Titan, the Bronco, on down the line of all the companies they supply, Power Wagon, um, their rubber and seal technology is some of the best in the business. And you can easily take a set of, you know, those 8100s, um, smooth body like they have today or 6112, no maintenance for, you know, maybe 100,000 miles, depending on how you use the truck. You're not going to yeah. have rubber rotting out on you and things breaking down and have to, re, you know, uh, rebuild them halfway through or something. Shane, how much of the the internals are produced – I know that Bill Stein, I'm going to guess that Bill Stein makes all of the metal uh, parts, but how about the rubber, the bushings, things like that? Like if there's any Delron involved or the the internal, uh, the plastics and the rubbers. The the bushings, uh, they're not manufactured by Bill Stein in-house, but they are basically, since we do so many OE packages, we have the OE data and with the volume, a lot of times we get to piggyback off of what we're doing for OE. Like Sean says, we're almost on every single pickup truck at some level uh, and we can piggyback off of the OEM. So it's, um, I don't have the, the molecular breakdown, but, uh, <laughs> but the, all the, all the, uh, you know, they always go their cycle tests and things that are required nowadays to be an OE supplier that things like a bushing will do like a cycle test where, where you know, we have like half of a, a warehouse filled with like testing equipment that just cycles things for like hundreds of thousands of miles or equivalent. You have to have this like certain quality and you have to prove that to the OEs. We can carry that into the, uh, into the, any of our aftermarket shocks, including these bushings are like heavy duty enough to be on a 8100 series, which is a high end off-road shock, but the, the bushings are just that good. You don't, you know, we can actually use those and it's a huge advantage because like Sean says, you don't have the, the noise, you don't have the harshness, you don't have the, you know, maintenance, which is great. And, uh, you know, a lot of bushings have, um, sleeves, in them, well, all of ours are like they're vulcanized metal steel sleeves, sometimes metal on metal, push in the eyelet. I would never expect something like that to fail on at this level product, but it's just it's a it's a nice advantage because you're you're not it's a with the 8100 it's a it's a race level product, but but one of the things that's a real downside is having heim joints on a, just a regular damper, and uh, you know not a coilover, but just like a regular damper and. And the fact that we can offer that is, is a big advantage, I think. 
I think what's cool is when they decide to uh, get into the 8100 program for uh, Tacomas and Jeeps, and now you can get uh, the bypass, you get the smooth body 8100s. I've got the uh, 8100 smooth bodies on the JL now with the AEV collaboration with Bill Stein that are, are proving to be pretty awesome. Um, the best part is they did it and nobody died. <laughs> because okay. that was a, it's kind of inside joke with uh, that's a with low Shane. bar that's a low bar well, right the, the thing was there's a lot of you know hesitation even in the industry of, of putting that level of a shock on a daily driver that was sort of weekend warrior right like do you really need that yeah. and so the joke was we did it and nobody died like it's it ended up being as awesome as you hoped it would be and like I said my experience with you know probably 25,000 miles on those shocks on my old uh, JK through everything is they flex just as good as anything else on the slow stuff. They were I ran out of horsepower on the high stuff. They were so good, and I never had one leak. I never had to you know um, recharge them with nitrogen. I never had any issues with them. And it's just one of those deals where it's like you have this really awesome shock on the inside that's got all this race technology, but it has a wiper seal that's meant for durability. And then the mounting points are vulcanized rubber with sleeves that are super stout and not a heim that's going to wear out and you know need to be replaced. So drivability around town is no different than your regular shocks. It was just it's just a you know, they're pricey, but you get what you pay for. And that's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of the Bilstein stuff is it transforms your vehicle, especially if you want to push it to the limits, but you don't have the negative drawbacks of a lot of these, you know, companies that require you to weld in different mounts or they have just himes that wear out where, you know, if you live in the Midwest or someplace with salt on the streets, they'll eat up the finish, they'll eat up the himes. You get all that, you know, or even a place where maybe they put, you know, like crushed lava rock on the road for snow and ice just beats the crap out of them. And you have this race shock that was designed to be rebuilt after every big race isn't going to, you know, have the same durability and longevity on your daily driver. And when we first started uh, doing this, we, we basically, we, we picked the Toyota Tacoma and, and Sean, remember 16, I, I invited you to the off-road to SEMA. That was awesome. We did 400-plus miles from Poway, which is uh, where Bill Stein's headquartered in northern San Diego County, off-road to SEMA that year in two Tacomas that were equipped with their uh, 8100s. So basically had their uh, bitchin' front coilover that had an RCO and a JCO, rebound cutoff and jounce cutoff, which I'll let Shane describe. And then in the back had the bypass shocks, was just an upper arm, and I think they had probably like 32s or something like like that. We were, there were parts in the desert, like I remember we were uh, paralleling Interstate, I can't remember, if it, I think it was 40. Interstate 10. Was it 10? And yeah. <laughs> literally, we're going 20 miles an hour faster off-road than cars are speeding down the 10. Oh, that's nuts. I mean, they're going 75, 80, and we're comfortably above that in sections, and- we're able to pace them going through the whoops. And there are a few G outs, like really square edge, like a wash where we were in the truck and we all like puckered because like, oh my God, this is going to hurt. And it just sailed off of it. And you didn't even feel it. And you're going, this is a stock Tacoma otherwise with an upper arm, some springs in the back and just shocks. And that's it. Stock and wheels and tires. tires. Well, wheels and tires. I mean, they had, you know, stocks of 31 or 32 was about the same size, but a little bit more aggressive tire, but that's it. And, we're hucking this thing, and you know, we had no business doing the speeds that we were doing. Who owned these trucks? Uh, one was a Bilstein engineer, right? One was uh, Bilstein's, and one was uh, a guy that worked with me in product management. Yeah, So, and then I remember we were coming down to the 40, and it was this great 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was sunset, right? And if you think of the mountains, you know, on the south side of the highway, and and the highway kind of cuts through, and on the north side it's open desert, they were waiting for us at this gas station right off the 40. And they knew, like, our support team that was following us and knew we were coming. Well, we were driving so fast down the mountain, and it's funny because um, they basically let me drive. Wes, who's one of the drivers. What do you mean, basically? One you of either the, drove or you didn't drive. One of the best drivers that I've ever seen off-road. The dude is an animal. Like, he is just incredible. And after about 100 miles, he tosses me the keys. He goes, all right, you drive. And I drove the rest of the trip. And there's this one section. We're coming down, and it's really sandy, down, downhill, fast, 70 miles an hour. The guys who were waiting for us in our support crew said it looked like cruise missiles were being shot down the mountain because the sunset was catching our dust plume, oh. and the trucks were in the shadows. So it just looked like missiles were being fired. And we were we were doing it. And at the end of the trip, I asked Wes, I go, how did he do? He said, dude, you did great. You're, you know, great driving. I go, did I scare you? He goes, yep, once. I go, was it when we were going downhill to the Ford? He goes, yep. I go, yeah, it scared me there too. <laughs> Why? What did you do? Why? Why? Did we you... just got, just got a little bit squirrely over some stuff. And we were a little bit sideways at really high speeds. And I had to make a quick correction. And, oh, no. And, 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 you know, make sure we didn't, you know, roll it and yard sale it. Did you come off the, uh, one of the wheels or, or what? No, it just, I just was sideways. You just through got some, light. It got light and it got sideways. <laughs> we we weren't looking down the trail. We were looking toward oh, toward no. the side. So anyway, but that was funny because he's like, yeah, one time I'm like, was it this time? He's like, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> but I mean, that just goes to show like that minimal amount of change with, and I don't remember, Shane, what the wheel travel was with that setup. It was probably only like 10 or 11 inches. So not even a long travel. I always say that a quality travel, a quality shock is way more important than long travel because you could have a big marshmallowy long travel thing that doesn't have any control that soaks up everything, but body roll and you're facing everywhere and it's hard to steer and control. Mm-hmm. Or you can have something that has a shorter amount of travel, but it's really quality travel that you can have extreme control over. And a lot of times people get really uh, hung up on the overall wheel travel numbers. Well, you know what? So Holman and, and, and Shane, when you're shopping for a shock and you don't have the luxury, most guys, most of our listeners, me included, we don't have the luxury of going out and testing 10 different shocks. So you buy one, you think, ah, well, I guess this is what it is. You know, I guess this is what you pay, uh, you know, a, an extra grand gets me. You don't have the luxury that someone like Holman or you do with, with knowing what this wide variety of shocks, the good and the bad, right? You've driven a crappy pair of, you know, set of Monroe's and you've driven the 8100s, 9100s or better. So how how do you know one that what you have is good or bad? You know what I mean? Like, wh- what's the the litmus test? Well, like in, in the case of like an eighty one hundred series, uh, when we uh, we've got like Holman said, we got some smooth body versions, but the main thing behind it was that it was position sensitive. So we had a position sensitive coilover in the front and a position sensitive bypass shock in the back. Now the position sensitive coilover in the front was not an internal bypass it has something we call zone control and it has basically a hydraulic bump stop inside of it so that's where the quality of damping comes when you impact something hard the last two inches of shock travel which is probably four at the wheel because it's like a you know roughly a two to one ratio on a tacoma is you're you're getting into a two-stage hydraulic bump so that allows us to really back off for comfort on the street or the you know the just like a little rocky sharp edge stuff we can tune that out because we can rely on this hydraulic bump stop inside the shock to to control that 
high-speed impact. And then on the way back out, it has a two-stage rebound. It actually has a hydraulic top-out stop, which we call an RCO. Incidentally, the one that for the hydraulic internal bump is we call a JCO, so JCO RCO. So when you hit that big bump, you get it, you suck it up with the hydraulic bump stop, JCO, and then it releases, and then the RCO catches you and keeps you from bouncing in the air. So at that level of damper, you're talking the top end or your stage three or whatever you want to call it from us at, at Bilstein, it's uh, the position sensitive. You really want to look out for that. That's that's the the high tech damping that you're looking for. Like any kind of Baja race truck uses a bypass shock, position sensitive, adjustable, and that's the highest end you can get. So if you're looking at a a, uh, a high end shock like a 8100 or something equivalent, like look out and see if it's position sensitive or not. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, and I'll say driving those trucks to SEMA that year, um, if I hadn't seen the truck, I wouldn't have believed it wasn't a mid or long travel kit. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, to me, that's the best, uh, it's expensive, but it's the best bang for your buck suspension. You don't need to go to wide control arms and you don't need all the fancy stuff. I've seen a lot of Tacomas where people just bolt everything on it because they want the wheel travel number. So they're super wide. And I'm not saying those can't work because there are definitely some good kits out there and there's definitely some really high end shock pairings out there. But for the average guy, all you need is an 8112 and an upper control arm. I mean, it's literally, it, it's transformative how good that'll make your Tacoma. But who should I call if I need an upper control arm? Funny you should say that, lady. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, we're, start, we're starting to make a few upper control arms or, or having a few upper control arms made for us that are, that are designed for to go with our lift, lift kits, essentially. And but, when you decided to get into that market, we've joked about this before, um, do, are you stepping on toes of your friends at Camberg and places like that? I don't think so. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's kind of like kind of like a need, you know. It's something that is needed for alignment, and a lot a lot of the like, especially like when you're dealing with a shock with a reservoir, some of the arms aren't don't necessarily fit the same as others. So a lot of people are like, well, what arm should I use with your shocks? So we felt that was a good a good uh, match to be able to offer an upper control arm that if you're a Billstein customer, you know that it's going to work with your Billstein shock. Yeah, like everything else, so. there's good ones out there and there's bad ones out there. And, you know, at least you have an option that you know definitely works. That doesn't mean that you can't go and get a shiny bitchin' billet control arm from Camber because obviously they make a, a fantastic product, a lot of other companies. But for the guy who says, hey, I want this and I need these additional parts, it's one-stop shop, right? You get everything from Billstein, yeah. you know it's designed to work together, so... Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people are, are confused by. You know, there's only there's probably like 25, 30 different upper A arm manufacturers, and people just don't know. They're like, I want to buy your 5100 series, and I need an arm. What do I get? Well, we're trying to to help help you out. So we've got a quality control arm manufactured by a California a company in California, and um, you know it's going good, going, going pretty good so far. And with that, but we only have a few applications. So we've got Toyota's late model, we've got GM and Titan, and that's it at the moment. But we should be filling out the line with other with other uh, models for that. And they are they're tubular as opposed to again a CNC piece. What was yeah. that? Was that uh, a price thing or what? 
I don't know. I, I think we, we like it. We thought it looked good. And um, it's got a ball joint instead of a heim joint. So the, the ball joint's going to be less maintenance-free. And it has a urethane bushing, which uh, is pretty good. It's good for, you know, just kind of tightening up the front end um, a little bit uh, compared to the OE bushing. I mean, the OE bushing is, is probably the best, but the urethane uh, definitely gives you a tighter feel. Um, but it does require a little bit more maintenance. But we, we like we just like the way it looked. You know, we have a cool uh, branding on it, and uh, it's um, and we like having the ball joint instead of a uh, you know a greasable ball joint instead of a instead of a heim joint at that level. Nothing nothing bad against the heim joint, but you know we have customers that they're going to use these with a shock that costs like three hundred dollars, a shock package that costs like three hundred dollars. So you know we want something for. That you know anybody, no matter what level of Bilstein front coilover they got, or front ride height adjustable type shock they got, you know it, it would go with that. So and more importantly, uh, lighting it works. Yeah, no, obviously it's it's easy because you know the name and you know the quality. That it's an easy decision. When you say Heim joint, are you talking about um, where a uniball would be, or are you talking about where it connects to the chassis? But where it connects to the spindle. So okay. most, of, most of the ARMs out there from, you know, all the Southern California companies have a, have a uniball in the center, which is great for performance, but, you know, it probably lasts about a year before you got to yank it apart and replace it. It starts to get noisy. So we didn't think that that would be a good thing for a Bill Stein customer. With, Obviously, with, you can go out and get one with a Heim joint if you want, but we, we just chose for... Our, our entry into the A-arm, upper A-arms to do uh, ball joints. And with this type of setup, there is an, a certain amount of force at which, uh, and what, what tire wheel and tire package would you not exceed with this thing? Because again, this is from personal experience. With my, I had a crazy big lift kit on my dually and all that stuff, and we were blowing through ball joints. Like, I think I went through three sets of ball joints in like a year and a half. It was way too much force and stress on the ball joints, so we went to a uniball, and I only had one set until I sold the truck. Like, so, different applications, but at what point do you get too big for a, a joint like this? Well, in these applications, I think, like, especially like Toyota, you can pretty much only put a 33 on it. And um, no, no, on my Toyota, I carved the entire fender away and I put 45. <laughs> Unfortunately, the uh, t- Tacoma's uh, to fit a 35 or bigger, you got to do a lot of work. You got to do a lot, a of, lot work. of work. So there's no worry there. At, okay, at, so. that po- at that point, you're probably looking at different stuff too. Right, the I point mean, is just, moot. Okay, the got point it. is moot. Yes, yes. yes. As, but as but he say. did say that he had them for Chevys and you can go bigger on Chevy depending on. The kit, but I suppose yep. at that point you're doing a whole lift kit and you're you're out of this market, right? Well, it, de- it, it depends. Yeah, I mean, it's are you are you using stock arms? Are you using a stock spindle? Are you you know uh, do you have fiberglass fenders on it? Are your bedsides you know uh, pushed out? Uh, all that kind of stuff. What type of wheel and tire are you going for? A low squatty desert truck thing? Are you using drop down brackets or torsion keys to get it jacked up six inches to to fit tires? You start getting to a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, the nice thing is, uh, Bill Stein has a shock for you. You can definitely find, you know, different uh, extended collapse lengths, those custom applications, those race applications, all that kind of stuff. They'll make a shock for for your kit. But the beauty is, they have a you know forty five pages of catalog that have direct replacement numbers. No, that, I, I you ju- know that are just right now. I looked at a nineteen eighty four C ten. Yeah, and they had three different applications. Yeah, for it, three yeah. different yeah. styles. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's that's awesome. 
and, and all the shocks are made in uh, uh, was it Ohio, right? In um, is it Stowe? Most of our, I'd say probably half and half our light truck shocks are made in um, Ohio, a little bit in Germany, and then we also have a plant in uh, Mexico. I didn't know that you guys also were doing air springs. Some of our the Ram trucks have air, um, you know, air springs in them, like the the fifteen hundreds. Well, that, and it, that's yeah. yeah, that's kind of a different. So like, the, I don't know. These look like re- OE replacement, is what it says here. I just am surprised that I didn't know it, that's. I mean, it's quite a breadth of product. Bill Stein's a German-based company, and over in Europe, we supply Mercedes-Benz and Jaguar, Land Rover, all those types of really high-end you know, European car companies. And they have, on their luxury vehicles, they have air springs that actually the, uh, a lot of the tech was kind of used on the TRX for the, uh, the way that it is. But the air springs got a variable spring. And it has, they all have electronic dampers that go with them. And uh, they use like our, most of them use our uh, similar tech to the TRX, but obviously not as big. But um, rebounding compression has a rebounding compression valve. And with a, with a luxury vehicle, like if you, if you stab the brakes, it's, it's adjusting spring. So the shock has to adjust with the spring. You go around corners, it like senses it and it's, it's like a whole, it's like hovering on a on a hovercraft or something, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we have uh, like Mercedes Benz and and vehicles like that, or manufacturers like that. We have some pretty in depth electronic air spring tech. That's that's pretty impressive, actually. At what point, Shane, will we have that for? Uh, the guy's got an old Ranger or whatever he has, and and he you have won- an old Ranger. You're not putting air springs on it, dude. No, no, no. I was I was leaving air springs. I'm All leaving right. air springs. But I want to go into like, is there a way or will there be a time that you can take the TRX technology, right? The jump detection and 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 uh, and, and variable rebound and things like that. Will they is, will they sell a package that you'll buy the four, uh, you know, the four shocks and a controller and and a controller, the whole nine? Is that coming? Um, it would be nice, but the problem with not, I wouldn't say a problem. The controller is essentially for those systems is created by the OEM manufacturer and it's like really, really expensive development. And, um, like it, it, they basically have to be plugged into the car and fully integrated, but you couldn't, you have a, a laptop interface the way the guys do tuning. I mean, literally, you buy you can buy a tuner from freaking, you know, from Bully Dog or SET and plug it in your OBD port, open up a laptop, and write a program to your ECU. I don't see why you couldn't do the same for a shock program, open it up, plug it into directly into the Bilstein module and say, here's the weight of the vehicle, here's here's the braking, or put in these parameters and then dial in or, or, over the course of a weekend, right? Just go out and romp on in the desert and say, oh, it's diving too much, so more rebound here, less whatever. I don't know. I feel like that could be a thing. Well, in fact, that's how the uh, TRX shocks were developed. Right, but why couldn't it be for the yeah, aftermarket? They, I think you'll see... Whether it's Bill Stein or other companies, I think you'll see semi-active suspension coming to the aftermarket in the next decade. It's going to be super expensive. It'll need a standalone controller that isn't plugged into the vehicle that has a yaw and accelerometer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Shane? I, I, I see it being out there at some point, but prohibitively expensive for the first ones that make it to market. 
the the controller is where it gets really expensive and you know it could cut like uh like even uh, some simple electronic uh things that that we've tried to do in the aftermarket on the sports car side the controller could cost like four or five hundred dollars for a for a simple one valve system that i would say that's cost but but by the time you can sell that to someone it might cost them a thousand dollars for a controller for a simple system but then when you get into like the trx technology where it's integrated like basically you have to <laughs> like you have to wire the whole car on on your own and then have sensors all over the car like somebody has to wire this car. which gives me uh, so two things I've I've said it to you and to people at Bill Stein. I think you guys should come out with a big piston uh, TRX replacement shock system for fifteen thousand dollars or something <laughs> that bolts onto a TRX and uses the existing controller and all that. Because I think one of the things that, like Fox, for instance, you know, they're oh, we own a Raptor. Well, you can go out and buy upgraded Raptor packages, you know, shocks for that. I would love to see Bill Stein do something like that. On the uh, on the TRX because I think that would be super super cool to be like hey I've got even better shock technology and then the other question is I see lots of guys on Instagram who have pulled off their TRX shocks I was going to ask him about that and put on whatever do you know I I actually don't know but do you know can the controller be turned off because that is so integrated into the computer how do you not get every light on the dash and have it ride you know not not great I'm, I'm afraid people are removing this amazing technology so they can have a bigger piston not understanding how it works and ruining I, their trucks. I think they want a uh, they want a, a, another shock on there that they're a fan of the name and they're maybe, they're, maybe they're not familiar with the shock that's on. So, so do you even know, know how does that even work, Shane, when somebody pulls off the TRX shocks? Yeah, none of the electronics are going to work, obviously. Yeah. You have to unplug it. I don't know if it goes to limp mode or not on that. We could make something different and use the the controller and talk to the shock on that vehicle. So that would be possible. The development on it, obviously. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in your court too. I've, I've asked that, you know, quite a few times already, you know, we would have to do that and that would be possible, but uh, yeah, taking the, taking that shock off and putting on a larger race shock. I don't really know if you're going to see the benefit um, a lot of people maybe not don't know this, but the you know, TRX shock has the zone control in it for one. <laughs> yeah. So you, no, wait, you're wait, losing zone control bump stop. It, it has a zone control, which is that has the JCO hydraulic internal bump stop. So on the front, you when you hit, when you bottom yeah. out, there's a the hydraulic bump stop. So like, let's walk through that. So the the TRX shock, the front, well, front and back are both extruded aluminum bodies. So you're already getting crazy. They're uh, better cooling, anodized. They are, they've got three pistons per shock. You've got um, a JCO in the front, which is the jounce cutoff, which means that there's a, a hydraulic bump stop in the front shock. You don't need it in the rear so because of So full bottom out, right? Full bottom out. You'll hear them go full clunk. Full bottom out. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the chalice and the piston interfacing. So basically what happens is packaging in the front of a long travel truck, there's not a lot of room to add a bunch of stuff, Right. So uh, if you look at like uh, on a Raptor, there's a lot of kits that change the lower control arm so that you can put a hydraulic bump can in there. Mm -hmm. The benefit of the TRX style is in the shock. So with it being inside the shock, you don't have to have an external mount for anything. Although that does eat up a little bit of room, right? It eats up like three inches or something or more, right? No, not not three inches. It's not really a factor on the front. It's all 
it's all dialed into how much suspension travel it has. Mm. You know, in theory, yes, the bump stop does take up some room, but the way that they build these trucks, the shock bodies are so long compared to how much travel you're stroking. There's plenty of room to put a JCO in those. And that's kind of we, why we developed this uh, JCO zone control technology is because it fits. You know, it and doesn't work with that's that. That's what I say. The other thing is, you, again, uh, to Shane's point, they already have zone control on them. Well, too. explain zone control because you, you you were here earlier when Shane explained it, right? <laughs> Maybe well, in layman's <laughs> term, in, instead of having to put a hydraulic bump stop like you see on a, a race truck and weld it to the side of your chassis so that your A arm hits it when it goes up, that part is in the shock. No, no, I understand so that. Have, I get, I got that part. What I'm saying is, yeah. why are we calling it zones? Why are we because it's the zone? If you have a shock from top to bottom, because you have you, a ride zone. That's in the middle of the shock. Okay, that's instance. what I was looking for. That explanation. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's the it zone It actually has controlling. three zones. It has a ride zone, which is with a zone control in the ride zone, we can kind of mellow out the shock tuning so it's, you know, buttery over the choppy stuff. And on the street, it's nice and smooth. And then the the JCO has two stages. It's a, it actually telescopes into itself, which is the, which is the genius of it. So you, you talked about it taking up room. So let's say you had three inches of hydraulic bump inside the shock. Well, this thing actually is only an inch and a half when it's all the way compressed because it actually has two stages and like telescopes literally into itself it, and doesn't blow up somehow. <laughs> it's like it's wild amazing. if you see a cutaway <laughs> of anything with the, the 8112s with the uh, JCO or uh, uh, TRX with the JCO. It's like this disjointed piston rod that has a piston on the end of it that engages this chalice. And it's wild because you expect, like, what happens if it's off-center? But mm -hmm. it's not. The machining tolerances are so good. It's a bullseye every time engaging this cup. Okay. So it's just, I mean, like, the first time Shane showed me a cutaway, like, I had to stare at it for a while because I didn't understand how it could have, like, the end of the piston rod has free space between it and the thing it's engaging, and then at the end it engages. It's, so the engineer was on acid when he came I, up with I, it. They, they were on some <laughs> magic goofy stuff, but it's it's killer. If it you, does work. It's <laughs> amazing. What is your feeling about – so you're friends with all the same guys that we know, and you're at, at, at all the same off-road shows, and you're walking around, and you're seeing the Raptors, and you're seeing the TRXs, and guys ripping off the stock stuff. Do you just shrug your shoulders and go – whatever i mean i whatever floats your boat or do you like we, we are asking the question how can that work like why did you why did you do that like you had arguably the best stock suspension that's ever been made right and on a, on a production truck and you just pulled it off so you could why so you could be different i mean that's part of the aftermarket <laughs> make it your right. own yeah <laughs> okay Fair i mean the, the shock absorber system on there is amazing it's like when uh i i i was involved in some earlier prototyping on a trx but on different vehicles with like i said with a box that was totally integrated in like by us with sensors and, and literally the guy tuning the shock the the shock uh ride engineers it's like fast and the furious he's in the in the passenger seat with his laptop tuning the shocks so I think you that's know. the same truck I got a ride in at some point. It was a big solid axle truck that had five modes, and I couldn't believe the difference from a few keystrokes. Really? And that was yeah. like super, super early TRX style 
controller development. This was probably six years ago or something like that. And yeah. it was mind blowing. Shane, what is it changing when they're when they're going through the modes? Like what is it how how does it physically change that you've got to have a motor in there. There's some type of actuator that's changing the valving in a very minute yeah. way, right? It's pretty pretty major. I mean you basically have a it has a rebound and it the, the shocks um I guess I'd call it a pump around shock. So the main piston is is pushing oil into these valves that are that are basically it's kind of like a it's kind of like a internal bypass but without the we're not flowing past any ports so you've got an inner tube and you've got like a port on the top of the tube a port on the bottom and then you've got these valves on the outside that basically control rebound and compression and they're you know mag magnetically adjusted i don't know exactly how it works but basically um through the through the laptop you've got you know parameters like full soft full hard and then you you can basically tune do like these uh the shock tunes or do a program to create like the proper algorithm for uh for whatever rebound or compression you want but you're doing that on the laptop you're not you don't have to take the shock apart and like revalve it and things like that you know for the most part so it's it's pretty high tech <laughs> like i said you're you're tuning in on the laptop and you're when i did this uh, demo with a certain company you know we're driving through the desert and the guy's tuning the shocks sitting in the car right next to me yeah no no uh, no ride amazing, trailer you know? yeah the shock <laughs> tuning trailer that guy left behind at home it's no taking the shocks on and off i mean you literally amazing. have a laptop plugged in and you're and you're dialing it in perfectly so that's it's, the future it's an amazing technology i don't I don't know why anybody would take it off, but I do understand if somebody wants something a little goofier looking or something that's aftermarket or it's a, that's just the way it is. And you go to a truck show, it's all about taking off what's stock and putting on something else. But right? the worst but, part is like most times, like all the Raptor guys ripping off their OE Fox stuff are selling it to on secondary market to F-150 owners and making money off of it mm -hmm. and subsidizing yeah. their upgrade. And Fox has a killer upgrade for the, their own product on the Raptor, right? Like you can go and buy a set of their upgraded aftermarket shocks that are designed to bolt right on the Raptor and replace what they have, use live valve, all that stuff, whatever. But TRX, what are you doing with all that beautiful hardware? You can't right. just hand it to a Ram 1500 owner. It's useless. Yeah. It's, it's it's just art at that point, I guess. Make yeah. it make a chair out of it. <laughs> like, oh no no make like a, a leg for like a, if you're an amputee, would that be cool? No, <laughs> weird. It's uh, a really weird analogy you yeah. used there. I just would be cool to walk really, on. Them. What gets me is it's it's really like back in back in the day when you wanted a nice cool truck, you had to like work on it like a ranger remember Sean you had to do yeah you made it you, you're basically uh, the forefront of a, of a raptor setup you had you did the long travel you did the coilover four-wheel drive back then it was all pre-runners you know you, you put a lot of time and effort in that truck yep now you can buy a raptor and it's like basically it's better than that you know it's got 35s it's all done for you yeah shocks and that's like to me i'm like great i'll just buy that i don't have i don't have to do all that do anything yeah that we used to have to do well it's like you our trx like, that i'm driving right now you know like that thing is <laughs> It's it's just unbelievable. Like I, I'm constantly amazed every day with how smooth it is on the highway, and then you go take it off road, and it just comes alive. I mean, we've you know four wheeler. We posted videos last year um, on four wheeler of the year in slow motion, hitting these whoops at like 60 miles an hour, and literally you can see the entire rear axle moving in, in 
at least the entire foot of travel in the back. I think it's what 13 or 14 inches, but let's call it 12 or 13 inches stuffing into the bed of the truck and the body not even moving. That's impressive. I mean, it's just and that's a stock truck. Look, look at the new Raptor with its parallel, almost equal length uh, rear control arms. Look at the TRX's rear controller. Look at the you know the forged aluminum or or cast aluminum arms. It just you look at everything that these guys are doing to compete with each other, and you're going, man, this was high end race truck stuff. Some of it's in fact, some of it's better than race truck stuff was ten years ago. Sure, I mean that's why they're yeah. calling them super trucks now. I mean, I mean they are. I mean you can literally tow eighty five hundred pound trailer. You can put, you know, fifteen hundred pounds of payload. I mean, you can jump it. You in, know, in in nineteen ninety five, you said I'm going to buy a truck off the dealer lot with seven hundred and two horsepower, and with shocks that are controlled by the truck CCM. They're like, no, no, you won't. That's pretty. Bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's just I, I it's it, if you haven't had a chance to experience a, a TRX, I, I I hope you do. Anybody who's listening, but. Great stuff. So, so Shane, what what would you say? I, and I've had a lot of listeners lately who have emailed me or messaged me or DM me. And do they say? Oh, la, 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 la. They don't. No, they, they say, don't. "Hey, I want new shocks. You have convinced me I should go with Bill Stein from listening to the podcast." And I had a couple who actually got them and circled back and said, "Dude, awesome. Thank you. Like this is my wife loves my truck again." What would you tell somebody when they have a question about, hey, I've got, let's say it's a Ram 1500 or an F-150 or a Nissan Titan or whatever the case may be, and they say, I want to get an upgraded shock. Why Bill Stein? You know, where do I start? Well, I mean, I guess you'd have to start if it's going to be stock or lifted. But at that level, if you're just a normal everyday guy, uh, first, first question is if it's stock or lifted. That'll put you into either the 4600 or 5100 or 6112. Why Bilstein? Because it's specifically tuned for the application. It has the right bushings, the right mounts. It's got uh, the monotube technology, um, innovator, Bilstein innovator of that technology. Most of your trucks come with a twin tube shock, which is, this kind of gets back to uh, what, what, Light, what Lightning was saying earlier. Like, how do you know they have all these shocks out there to choose from? What are some things to look at? Well, on, for your average everyday guy type shock, you want to know if it's a twin tube or a monotube. So that's a huge a huge plus to have a monotube shock, which the Bilstein is. So monotube shock specifically tuned for your vehicle with the right mounts, OEM quality mounts, uh, with a lifetime warranty. So it's basically you can put a shock on like that and drive your car and never have to worry about the shocks again, hopefully. If you want a little bit more performance – and you've got you want to level your truck out or something like that's really popular you're you're kind of in the stage two you want something better than just kind of your entry level then look at like the 6112 series uh front coilovers for half-ton trucks it's a great great option and i will tell you i uh i became a shock snob because on my ranger i had 9100s and then on my uh a couple of builds that we did for the first jk was 5160s and then I had 5160s on my JK, and then I went to the 8112s, and it was like, just I've been living in like you know epic shock land for forever. And when I got my JL from AEV, the 8100s weren't out yet, and so I was quote unquote stuck with 5100s for a year. And you, you were I, slumming it. Is I was shock saying? humbled <laughs> because I was like, oh man, these things don't even have reservoirs; they're just a 5100. I can't wait to get my 8100s. But wait, wait, wait. I went up to the mountains with you with the 5100s. Yeah. And they were nice. And that was going to be my point is 
I put twenty uh, two thousand miles, twenty three thousand miles on it with fifty one hundreds. Went everywhere I wanted to go. Never had shock fade. Overloaded from overlanding. There's a bunch of videos on my Instagram of of where I was hauling ass on fifty one hundreds, and it reminded me that for you know it reminded you fair, that you were a, a shock snob. Yeah, a little bit. And the <laughs> fact that they are quote unquote an entry level shock, right? A forty six millimeter no reservoir. I couldn't believe like the performance that you got out of it. I would have been happy with those shocks, except for a couple areas where maybe you have a hard G out or something like that, or or whoops, you know, sustained whoops or something. Other than that, they were excellent in every other facet of shock life. And yeah. and then I just got the eighty one hundred, so now I'm back to being a uh, shock snob. You need a T-shirt <laughs> that either says shock life or shock snob. No, sh- uh, shock snob for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I just wanted to point that out there because I have a recent experience of fifty one hundreds. Don't be afraid of fifty one hundreds. It's a damn good shock. If you're looking yeah. for a replacement on your vehicle, I, it just even if you have somebody else's lift kit, Bill Stein makes those in different lengths so that they'll fit your lifted truck as well. So that's pretty cool. There's a lot of fancy upgraded damper shock options out there, but it's really hard to beat that direct fit. You know, easy bolt on lifetime warranty damper. And, and it's just really, they really are resilient and they really do work good. Shane, do you have a calculator on the website on billstein.com is how to calculate length um, for maybe a truck that does have a small lift? You know, maybe the guy has a, I don't know, he's got a three inch lift kit, right? Or leveling the, kit. The shocks of the catalog will say uh, for zero to one inch lift, one to three inch That's lift. That's what I was right. asking. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So there's different skews based on the amount of lift that you have. Perfect. Yeah, like if you go into a Jeep, you know, there's three different lift heights, and it'll also tell you, like, what the collapse and extended is, so you can, you know, bounce it off of what your lift kit manufacturer might have recommended, or you can measure it yourself. You know, it's always good to just double-check that the the measurements are right. You can mix and match sometimes, you know. (laughs) But, yeah, we have all the, uh, for the, for the lift, It'll it'll give you a lift height, but really valuable to have the clops extended lengths as well. Okay. And inches and millimeters. Even better. Even better. For our Canadian friends? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's uh, – why don't you – I don't know that we have ever really explained this before. We should probably take a moment now. The difference between a twin tube and a monotube. So most people know that a twin tube shock has two walls. It's a, it's a cylinder within a cylinder. And a monotube shock – has a single wall, but there's different technology of what's happening inside those shocks if you want to walk uh, everybody through that. And by the way, it is misleading because you'd think twin more better. Wrong. More better. You'd be wrong. So so twin tube shock is has a a piston with a rebound and compression side, but it controls cavitation by a base valve at the bottom of it. When the shock is traveling in, the oil has to travel at this little base valve at the bottom and it creates uh you know creates a, a little bit of uh, compression damping because of that and maybe reduces a little bit of cavitation but then on the way back out there's nothing really controlling this cavitation so the downside of a twin tube is that the oil will cavitate and when the oil cavitates it aerates and your piston's traveling through this aerated oil, your damping force goes away. So it has an inherent issue. So think about um, like you've got a piston, right? And it's traveling through a column of oil. Uh, or even think about it like in terms of water. Like if you go, 
you know, and, and bubble up the water. You just doused your laptop. Thank just you. FYI. Um, <laughs> there's not that column of oil that's supporting the piston. There's nothing that's slowing it down because it's going through this uneven air bubbles and stuff, and they're of different viscosity, and it's it's a different amount of resistance. So what, what happens is it cavitates, and they can also heat up. That changes the viscosity, and it will literally feel like you have a square wheel on your vehicle. You'll be off-road. They'll get hot. you got cavitation. And uh, I think I told the story before. My buddy Lawson with his uh, Land Cruiser 80 from AEM, who came on here before, mm-hmm. his Series 80, the first time we took it out with shock, stock shocks, we were out in Anza Borrego, and he gets on the radio. He's like, "Dude, something's wrong. My, it's, it, you know, I feel like I got a flat tire. I got to stop." I get out and look. I go, "You yeah, know, no flat tire. You're good." So I spit on a shock, and it like sizzled. And I go, "Dude, you got to sit here for a few minutes. You overheated your shocks." And that's because the twin tubes that were on there, basically, were full of air bubbles and heat, and the piston no longer had that that solid column of oil to to move and have that resistance, and the whole thing just felt like it was falling apart. So if you've ever felt that before, that's what that sensation. Yeah, and air is. is also not a good lubricant. It turns out. No. When the shock aerates, any of the valving or any of the damping characteristics go away, especially if you're driving off-road on a trail. You, you just have to slow down. You can't you can't go cruising down a dirt road. You'll, you'll bounce off the road and and break something or something. So, But a, a monotube shock, everything uh, is contained in one shock. There isn't a twin tube. Um, in a monotube shock, there is a there's oil and then there's a dividing piston and then on the other side of the dividing piston there's nitrogen gas the shocks uh, bilstein shocks let's just say usually have about 300 to 350 psi uh, pressure inside of them and the pressure of the nitrogen you can imagine it's pushing against this dividing piston which is pushing against the oil and it keeps the oil solid so no matter how fast the piston's going or or uh and also heat you can heat them up to you can heat them up a lot like uh, any bilstein shock is rated it has to operate at 300 degrees that's like a kind of a, a bilstein rule so the shocks will operate and function without cavitation without fade to 300 degrees so that means uh Obviously, on the road, you're going to have benefits of not having shock cavitation and just more specific valving because of that, because of no cavitation. But then if you do go off-road, you know, you don't have to worry about the shocks fading out um, within reason, obviously. Um, if you're if you're a total knucklehead, you can probably fade them out. But <laughs> to a normal person uh, driving down uh, a road in Anza Borrego or wherever, and you're, and, you, and you're trying not to, like, kill your car that uh, you know that those shocks will, will perform and they won't uh, fade out and you don't have to worry about uh, having to drive too slow and you don't have to worry about bouncing around while you're driving off-road. And the, so. the Series 80, about the same size as a JL, mm-hmm. uh, probably, probably you know both similar weights, and he had 33s, I had 37s, my 5100s had no issues, hauling ass down San Felipe <laughs> Wash, and he had to stop and cool down, right? So you just that, that was a good compare and contrast. Um, if you're thinking about think about a shock cutaway, the uh, the piston rod comes through and is inside the shock. At the end of that piston rod is the piston itself. That's all in a column of oil. And then the dividing piston that Shane's talking about, think of it at, at like the bottom of the shock, a floating piston. On one side, it's oil, and one side, it's nitrogen. And basically, like Shane said, it keeps them from mixing. So you don't have 
um, that foaming or aeration or cavitation, however you want to call it. So that's why a monotube, it's not just that one has two walls and one has one. It's that the technology within those walls is different. And also going back to heat, a lot easier to... What's directly coupled to the exterior, right? It's, it's yeah. what was it say? right to the wall. Right, exactly. Right? So, so you don't have anything trapping the heat within two walls, so you can cool down the shock a lot faster. So air going by or even if you're parked, it's dissipating heat at a faster rate because it's not trapping heat between the inner and outer walls. Mm-hmm. It's, there's one wall. So anyway. Yeah. Another big advantage is, uh, so you look at a twin tube shock and you look at a monotube shock, and they're both roughly two inches outside diameter. Um, a monotube shock has a large, the piston is the size of the shock, you know, for us, it's a 46 millimeter ID piston. If you go to a twin tube, the main working area, the main working tube is inside of the outer tube and the piston is like a 30 millimeter. So, ah. uh, the, mo- the monotube can run a bit, a lot larger piston than a twin tube in the relative same amount of outside diameter space. And the larger piston gives you better flow, better, just it's much better comfort, um, better feel. And, um, you know, the valving just works that much better with a larger piston. So uh, what's next for Billstein Aftermarket? I know the 8100 series have come out for the Toyotas, for uh, Gladiators and Wranglers. Um, what, what applications can we look forward to and what other projects can you talk about that you guys are working on? Yeah, the 8100 were filling out the line we should have some of the heavy duty truck not heavy duty but like a medium duty not even medium f-250 ram 2500 those types of applications i'll tell you right now the best truck out there 2500 class uh either the power wagon or the ford tremor and the tremor comes with 35s but it comes with a big body twin tube i think that thing is the perfect height perfect tire size amazing truck all it needs is a set of uh you know 8112s on it yeah be bad so we'll, we'll change be the shocks and with, be done with it <laughs> we'll be coming out with the 8100s for that for those applications um we're right around the corner releasing a double adjustable remote reservoir um oh yeah i can't wait for that part parts are in in the uh in the plant so it's a matter of getting those uh, part numbers made that include that but it should be available for upgrade you know, so you'll be quick. able to upgrade an existing shocks reservoir with the new yeah. double adjustable parts? Yeah. So explain real quick uh, what that technology is and what are you adjusting? You're adjusting compression and you're adjusting a basically a, a stationary valve in the in the in the reservoir. So it's like so basically it's kind of like a stationary piston and you're adjusting the preload on that and that's kind of your your main valve and then there's a bleed valve which is the kind of like a low speed so you can adjust the comfort so that the the bleed valve which is there's basically two dials on it a small one that's gold and a larger one that's blue and the gold one is the bleed so that's your low very low speed kind of comfort type adjustment and then the the more high speed valve would be the the blue one so basically it's kind of like a a high speed low speed uh, adjustment on it so what you're saying is anybody who has a 8100 uh, series shock on their JL uh, can retrofit this technology to it and then test it for you. What are you saying? Yes. You, why don't you just call him off air and say, can yeah, we, I try one? We've already talked. Oh, of course you <laughs> have. I'm just, I'm just uh, trying to play it up have. for the audience. Uh, All right. 
Well, I uh, will. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, we appreciate uh, our good friend Shane Kassad, who is the head of product management for uh, the Bill Stein uh, aftermarket side of the business. Uh, he is your shock guru on the aftermarket. He's my personal shock guru, which which helps me out tremendously. No, so. you know who he is? Who? Guy. He is Guy. He's, guy. He's definitely Guy. 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 So whether you want a uh, stock direct replacement 4600 series, a 5100 for your uh, adjustable, you know, that uh, are for lifted trucks, mm-hmm. your adjustable height leveling kit uh, with the perch for your coil spring, 5100, your uh, 5112s and 5162s or 5160s with the uh, reservoirs on it. One of my favorite bang for your buck performance 6112s, which is a, an amazing coilover shock package, or the 8100 bypass and uh, 8112 zone control shocks. Whether you have stock ride height or you have it lifted up to what six inches, depending on the application, uh, Bill Stein has 45 pages of catalog online for you at BillStein.com. <laughs> <laughs> does, that, does that work for you, Shane? Yeah, <laughs> it's quite a plug you got there. Yeah, there we go. Well, we and, and, and hey, Shane. And by the way, just dive thank, in. Thank you for supporting the Truck Show podcast. Honestly, I don't know if it was you. I don't know who actually pulled the trigger, but supporting us was it was a really big deal to Holman and I. That it's uh, it's a storied brand. We uh, like working with brands that we believe in. How about that? It, it, yes, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna draw it out. Get like a tearjerker is what I was going for. But no. I think she, Shane's ready to go to bed now. He's yeah, like, guy, are you guys done yet? That is late. He worked all day and now he's like selling shocks. Late at night while we uh, sit in our dank, he's dark he's studio. selling shocks. Late at he's night, he's slinging them. He's, he's slinging, slinging shocks on the podcast. Oh, on the on the on the pod. Yeah, he's like, I'm gotcha. done working today, guys. I, I'm going to go drink now. <laughs> All right, Shane. Well, right, guy. Thank you, guy. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me on. You thank got you. It. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Okay. All right, guy. Bye. Hey, uh, whole shot. You ready for some news? Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> what was with that pregnant pause? Like, what were you waiting for? Oh, uh, my kid just texted me. Jeez. <laughs> What's what new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Woo! Uh-huh. Hey, uh, Lightning, did you hear? I did not. Unfortunately, uh, Ram just had to notify, sadly, 131,000 Cummins-equipped HD owners, park your truck outside because it might catch on fire. (laughs) Why? What happened? I did not hear about this. Uh, Stellantis announced it would recall 131,177 heavy-duty Ram trucks built uh, for the 21 and 22 model years. Uh, Apparently, there's a solid-state intake heater relay on Cummins-equipped trucks that could short and catch fire, regardless of whether or not the engine is running. And uh, they think they'll have a fix for it uh, sometime in December. So specifically, uh, 67,597 21-22 Ram 2500s, uh, built between August 3rd and uh, of 2020 and October 8th of 2021. Mm. It's a pretty big spread. 39,324 21-22 Ram 3500s, built between August 5th, 2020, and August 8th, 2021. 7,317 Ram 3500 chassis cabs, built between August 12th, 2020, and October 7th, 2021. And 16,939 Ram 4500, 5500 chassis cabs, built between November 13th, 2020, and October 8th, 21. 
There are going to be a lot of hot shots off the road. Uh, well, I, I guess, I mean, yeah, I, do you risk it? I guess not. I don't know. Well, go back to this. Does it say exactly where this is? You said it was a, a solenoid? No. What did you say? It was for it's a, the heater? Uh, what they call a solid-state intake heater relay. Oh, interesting. Solid-state intake heater relay. So it says, after October 8th, 21, Stellantis no longer shipped any trucks with this exact intake heater relay. And they're uh, and are not included in the recall population. So after anything built after October eighth, says uh, further sixty seven hundred sixty nine trucks in Canada, and three thousand ninety seven outside of North America are also covered under the, uh, this campaign. It does not affect trucks equipped with the gas six point four liter Hemi. Uh, Ram says it only received one warranty claim potentially related to the issue, uh, but had reports of at least seven fires. However, there have been no injuries or accidents related to the problem. Uh, Stellantis' yeah, internal weird. code for this recall is Y76, so tell that to your uh, dealer. I wonder if this is um, the, the, the relay that activates the, the grid heater beneath the uh, the intake elbow. I do not know, but uh, oh. if you have that truck, you'll want to check with your local dealer and uh, park it outside. Not that you could fit it in a garage unless you have a warehouse or something, most likely. So uh, I'm guessing most uh, people own houses with that truck probably park on the street anyway. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No! No, I did not. The Cybertruck, the very, very shy Cybertruck, mm-hmm. was uh, seen out in the wild oh, wait, uh, testing. It, it's been out in the wild. Like, wasn't... Uh, no, it, it hasn't been seen for a while. It was with some new updates. It had a set of exterior mirrors uh, because uh, originally there were the cameras, but those aren't legal in the United States yet. And so it had, like, truck mirrors on the side of it hmm. and also looked like uh, rear steering. Rear steer, interesting, huh? They've got to keep up with the Joneses. I think that might be part of the it. The GMs. So uh, there's been talk of uh, revisions to the truck uh, since I saw it in the Tesla studio, I don't know, a couple years ago already. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be smaller uh, by, I don't know, it was like 15% or something like that. Does it come with pre-broken windows? It does not come with pre-broken windows. In okay. fact, it doesn't come with anything right now oh, because you gotcha. cannot get them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see w- if we see more of it, um, and it'll be curious to see when the truck actually makes its debut, which I'm not sure we know for sure. I, I watch some of these Tesla dedicated YouTubers and, and um, the, the, the kids that obsess over this stuff, and they are following this whole saga about the stainless steel stamping plant that he bought, uh-huh. right, that Elon bought. Fascinating story how he wanted to be in control of the like almost the whole supply chain. Yeah, and um, I don't know how that's working out for him. Well, I have got uh, friends who are engineers who uh, aren't sold on the stainless steel uh, design mm-hmm. of the truck, hmm. which uh, they have said uh, interesting things that and they're at other OEs. So I don't know if it's born out of uh, jealousy well, I mean, or or data. When's the last time the DeLorean, right? Uh, Did anyone's done stainless? stainless? Yeah, yeah. And, and stainless apparently has some interesting properties when it comes to crash and things like that, where you have to manage energy a lot differently and all that. So it'll be interesting to see what Tesla solutions are. They're and usually it, it pretty all depends good at on what out. all depends on what stainless too. There yeah, are so many grades of stainless. Yeah. Of course. And the whole reason that they did stainless was because they didn't want to have a paint shop, so they, they could have it uh, cheaper. The most expensive part of a whole vehicle is usually the painting process. So if you can have a, a stainless body. Even though stainless is more expensive than standard steel, if you don't have to coat it, that saves you a lot of lot of lot of cash. It occurs to me as you say that, Holman, that we've not actually spent time with a painter on this show. That seems like an area we haven't touched, and yet every single listener that we have yeah. 
has a truck that has paint on uh, it. I know some good painters. I should uh, reach out and see if they want to uh, come on the show. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? How about no? No. Uh, allegedly, GM is over halfway through uh, its pile of uh, chipless trucks and putting chips back in them. They're ahead of Ford then? This was an Automotive News GM spokesperson, David Barnes, who actually no. Uh, I should just call him next time I have questions about this. Uh, he says that the- uh, I have much speed dial. I can't imagine why I didn't text him and get the answer in uh, these, these units are vehicles GM built without certain modules and held until the semiconductors became available. Steve Carlisle, GM's North American chief executive, said at the Reuters Events Automotive Summit, we've made great progress. We're a bit better than halfway through that at the moment. Our goal would be to clear out our 21 model years by the end of the year. We'll have a bit of a tail of 22 model years in, into the new year, but not for long. They're saying that they ran them through the assembly plant for completion, uh, shipping the finished vehicle to the dealer rather than finished incomplete vehicles to the dealer and having them finish it. Um, but it sounds like um, yeah, I, I'd prefer the, the factory manufacturer. Day. Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like that's what they did. So uh, you should start seeing a lot of twenty-one uh, GM trucks dealerships hitting the market can't, soon. They can't even install like aftermarket alarms right. There's always something janky. I'd well, much rather have the factory do it. Nah, not always. I'm it not saying always, dealer. but too often. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I get it. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No. No, I did not. Sounds like uh, the Ford Maverick Hybrid has been uh, delayed. And the first of them won't be delivered until January or later. So if uh, you had a uh, 42-mile-per-gallon Ford Maverick on order, you're going to wait a little bit longer. Sounds like the uh, 2-liter turbocharged models have uh, started making their way into the wild, and so there's a lot of people waiting for the base model. you got to remember the hybrid is the uh, the base model powertrain. But Ford is going to make this up to the owner by saying they'll get a free bundle of Fitz accessories as a way of apologizing for the delay. And Fitz, Fitz? What do you think Fitz accessories? stands for a Ford Integrated Tether System. It's made up of T-shaped slots that accept a variety of Ford accessories. Uh, and it allows the owner to 3D print their own custom design pieces like cup holders. And I do like recall that. your uh, your homebrew interview where the guy was uh, he brought the the Maverick to your driveway and you did the interview in your garage. Yes, yeah, so. and he was talking about I've never heard that before. They they I mean look at Ford innovating where you can they give you the the what CAD files right so you can 3D print your the, own. This was accessories. the same company that 10 years ago said that they weren't going to hop on the CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, bandwagon because they don't want a five hundred dollar phone influencing the purchase of a car. Look how far we've all come from That's from that place, right? Yeah. Uh, hey, lighting. Did you hear? No, 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 no. I did not. Toyota is saying they plan to build up to two hundred and sixteen thousand turbo V six engines per year. Oh my lord. So are we going to extrapolate that out and say that's how many Tundra V sixes? I, Does I that mean, mean that the factory capacity is God. that? Does that mean that – so if you look at 2020 and 2019, Toyota sold uh, just over 100,000 trucks in both years, uh, 111 and 19 and 109 in 20. So it sounds like a lot more engines than truck capacity, but that's an old truck. Do you think they could conceivably double production with the new truck? Is it that good? They certainly could with uh, that – I know, think demand – and they know that trucks are the future – and the demand for this truck is going to be huge. You got to remember also that the twin turbo V6 engine is also in the uh, new Lexus LX600, which is uh, our Land Cruiser since they stopped selling the Land Cruiser here. Um, and then I would imagine the Sequoia uh, gets replaced on the new Tundra chassis. That's probably also going to get the same engine. So maybe 216 won't be enough across all those product lines. 
here's Ford who sells almost a million a year laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a lot for Toyota. I think everyone knows that Toyota is conservative. They don't want to you know, glut of vehicles in the dealerships, so they, they're very conservative that way. So for a conservative company like Toyota, that's a fairly impressive number of engines. Especially for a uh, first-year engine. It'll be interesting to see if that's the total plant capacity or if they can scale up from there. Uh, I guess it all depends on how popular the new truck is. I think it's going to be – I think it's going to blow out. I really do. I'm not a Toyota guy, but it is it, – it, they're going to sell everyone they can make. All right. Well, uh, speaking of selling everyone you can make, how about we read every email we got? Uh, that'll be a four-hour show. Okay. We'll read a couple of them. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. We email. That's right. Everybody email. Type it up. You email. Proofread. I email. Send it. We email. Click it. Everybody email. All right. Who's going first, Holman? Uh, you can go first. I'm busy dancing. Hold on a sec. What am I saying? I don't have any energy left after seeing it. Every one of these uh, emails is from uh, Trevor, though. Are they really? There's like we have like thirty from him. Well, what? We can't read them all. Like what? Oh my god! Look at how long that email is. Oh, there's there's some definite uh, long. Does he not have a job? What is he doing? This one isn't from him. Oh, he his typically aren't long. There's just a lot of them. All right, this one's from uh, Kelly Newman. Hey, Banksy and Hall Racer. Thank you. Um, In the debate of DRL, that's daytime running lights, and dash lights, I have to go with Holman. I was riding with my dad last week, and he was pulling a trailer in the rain. I knew he didn't have his lights on, so I casually asked about the lights, but he said they were on. Mm. A few miles later, he finally turned them on, and he said he had thought they were on because the dash lights were so bright. I also live in the country, and one night as I got home, I turned on the headlights to see if I could see with the DRLs, and I couldn't. Well, then, that's just this car he's talking about. Also, since finding the show in May, I've binge listened to about 130 episodes. About 90% of my, quote, radio time has been your show since. I told my brother-in-law, who is a Chevy guy, about the GM steering wheel after hearing Holman talk about it. He told me last weekend that now every time he drives his sister's Yukon, all he can see is the damn steering wheel. It was awesome. Great show, guys. And always remember to mounter those parameters. And he gave us five stars. Congratulations, you have earned five stars. P.S. Lightning, I seen one of the coolest Ram trucks this summer. I attached a photo of it for you guys. So first off, it's not I seen, it's I saw. Don't ever say that, uh, especially in print. And that is one hell of a Ram truck. Uh, I don't know what year or what is that? Holman, right there on the top, the Ram truck. It's uh, a GMC? It's a, no, it's a COE. It's a, it looks like a Ford. Cab over? Cab over, yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure it's hard to tell from that small picture. Yeah, Kelly, we uh, we printed the photo out, so it's a little hard to see. But on the back, he's got a yeah, looks like a AC Cobra or something. Super bitching. Yeah, that sounds rad. Uh, Should we just knock out all of Trevor's uh, emails? No, no, I don't think so. All right, sorry, Trevor. Uh, Although here's one, he does say uh, less crashing noises, please. If you could please play less crashing noises in the podcast, that would be great. I listen while driving, and I'm uh, running out of stain remover. Oh, to clean his seats (laughs) every time he hears them, Trevor. Lightning's F-150. Hey, Lightning sounds right up your alley for less money than the Shelby. Who, uh, who sent that, Lightning? This is from Joshua Brent. Uh, he has a link here, and he says, The stock radio gives you the opportunity to further modify an F-150. See what I did there? Love the podcast, fellas. Uh, thank you for sending it out every week, and keep up the great work. Five stars. 
Five star review! Five stars! And yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy! That's from Josh Brent. Thank you. All right, I got a long email alert from Lars. He says, uh, hey, fellas, I got a few things rolling around in my head that I want to write you about. This will be lengthy, I'm guessing. Listening to you talk about Onyx and Minds reminds me I wanted to tell you. I recently discovered the Sarah Gordo Ghost Town Living YouTube page from watching Heavy D's YouTube link. Lightning, have you heard of Sarah Gordo? Lars, yes, that's the one we talk about all the time. <laughs> exactly. Although that would be Lightning making those noises. Mm-hmm. Also, Lightning, Holman is right. I'm not sure about what, but I'm just going to give him the It dinner. sucks that people found freaking Brent Underwood through Heavy D. Yeah. And Why am us. I so pissed? Our listeners, through us. <sighs> By the way, uh, interested to... Never mind, I'm not going to get libelous here, but yeah. go research what's going on with Nikola and all the people mm, attached to that. You may yeah. find some interesting stuff there. Anyway, uh, he says, also Lightning Holman is right. I want to hear clips of your blubbering from days gone by. See, he wants to hear old Lightning Radio. <laughs> No, why are you... Just play, bring something. That's your homework that you fail on every week. <sighs> you know what? You, you're you sitting over there. I'm going to find some old stuff. I'm going to call Omar. I have it. He bring, doesn't have any. Bring it. I'll bring it. Bring it. We need a cassette recorder. Okay. Cassette player. Well, I got one. Do you really? Somewhere, yeah. I'll find it. I'm going to need it. I'll I don't br- own one. Bring a cassette in. I will bring stuff. a cassette if you bring a cassette oh. player. I literally do not own a cassette player. Yes, I can find all one. of my air checks are on cassette. Okay, let's do you want to hear me and Michael the maintenance man yes. rap about uh, Kokomo's yes. and Irvine? Yes, and you're gonna have to bring a cassette player. All right, I will bring a cassette player. All right, uh, he says maybe I've said this before, but you should have the Dirt Every Day guys on the show sometime. Fred and Dave seem like cool dudes, and Dirt Every Day and Rose. Does he not listen to this I, no, show? Seriously, Lars, where have you been? You write us all the time. Uh, blah, blah, blah. He says the only thing's worth watching on MTV. Lightning. You should get a job at Banks and yeah. Holman. You should be a writer <laughs> yeah. for. <laughs> Publications and his last stream of consciousness is uh, on electric vehicles. He goes, "How does this make any sense? Still got to use oil and gas products to make the electricity to charge the battery that came from the giant hole in the ground called a lithium mine. The machines taking the lithium out of the ground run on petroleum products to do their job. This makes no sense to me. Whatever, I'll just drive my truck and listen to the rumble of the 15 liter cat. Understand that technology comes and goes, but I'll likely be a dinosaur till I die. I'm just a guy with a high school education, but I was taught critical thinking skills by my parents. I get it that there's some neat technology out there around these new vehicles. Anyway, ran over. Keep up the uh, great show. Five stars. Congratulations. You have earned five stars. OG, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Mounted parameters. Everything matters. Thanks for watching, and remember, everything matters. Lightning's yabba dabba do. Yeah, lightning's yabba dabba do. What? All right, he said Holman's yabba dabba do. Oh, this. <laughs> yeah, that's from <laughs> Lars, who I hate now. I love you, Lars. Just no more stream of consciousness. And listen to our show so you know what's going on. Nissan Flex Cab is the subject line from Dakota Black. Hey, Lightning and Holman, just came across this article, and considering Nissan is a sponsor, this would be a fitting topic for the show. The 1991 Nissan Flex Cab. Have either of you heard of it? Here's the link. What are your thoughts? Well, that's a super long link. We'll have to click on it. We get back to a computer. Thanks for the awesome content, Dakota Black. And by the way, Dakota has unlimited service from Verizon. See that right <laughs> yes, there? Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, Nissan Flex Cab was the D21 body style, which we all know is the Nissan hard body here. Does in that the mean US. it had like an accordion-like body? Uh, it had an accordion-like... Um, imagine a Nissan hard body-based Pathfinder. So the bed is not separate from the cab. And on the but the back of it's cut away, so it looks it has the shape of a pickup truck. On the back is like a, a camper shell with an accordion on it, where you could 
It's like a long bed. So it's the longer style bed with a regular cab, but no gap between the bed and the cab, one body. And this camper shell looking thing stretched the entire length or accordioned up to be about the length of a king cab so that you could have covered cargo or more interior space. The, okay, so it would go from like an avalanche look all the way to having a full look like a top. Ca- look, basically look like a camper shell yeah. on it. Huh. Did you Have you ever seen one in the wild? I haven't. No, no, there was a concept. Oh. They, they were never in the wild. It was just a... Uh, interesting kind of uh, take. I don't. I mean, I don't think that it was real. They were never in the U.S. It was. This is based on the, the Datsun. So I'm guessing this was overseas somewhere. I don't know if it was Japan or something mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, simple concept. Uh, there's some soft canvas uh, camper shells from a few companies that kind of do that today. Uh, but Nissan was doing it back in 1991. If you think about that, what is that? 30 years? Uh, no, 20 years. 20 years. 20 years ago. They were already doing that stuff. You know, people forget about Nissan is that they innovated a ton of stuff in the truck space. Uh, people forget they were the first one with a uh, spray and bed liner. They're the first ones to have uh, those mirrors that had the convex and concave on the same, the towing mirrors. What? The first Titan was the first one with those. Wow. Um, they were, I think they were also the first ones, if I'm not mistaken, that had four extended cab doors that opened out. You must be out of your mind. Really? Uh, adjustable bed rails. Like, people forget Nissan has innovated a ton of stuff over the years. I think they may have been the first production supercharged pickup truck. I wonder if they have patents that the other manufacturers are stepping all over. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know I I won't tell you the story because I don't want to get it wrong and then, you know, get sued. Uh, but there is a big, giant Detroit manufacturer that stole their patent for some things they had on the first generation Titan and put them on other vehicles and then basically told Nissan to uh, pound sand. No. Can we find a Nissan person to tell us more? No, I doubt that is possible. Oh, really? They just don't want to... I'm sure that is a very sore subject, but Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that Nissan has done a lot of innovation over the years that I think people forget about. All right, uh, last uh, last email from Trevor. Uh, He says, Holman question. All these suggestions for what Lightning should get as the next truck had me curious. Holman, if a Wrangler was off the table, what would your personal choice have been instead of the Adventure Jeep, and how would you have built it up? I guess you could just say a JT if that was really the next best option, but I think your answer would say a lot about where adventure-minded truck guys would best be putting their money on a new vehicle right now. That's actually a really good question, Trevor, and I haven't read it for a few weeks because I was sort of mulling it over because I pretty much knew that I wanted to get the Jeep. And I purposely got that instead of a Gladiator for a few reasons. Um, so, and, I, and by the way, I, I'll just pause right there. Yeah. When Holman hadn't bought that, I was really grilling him about the Gladiator for quite some time because I thought for sure because Holman's a truck guy, so yeah. I figured he's gonna. This is the ultimate marriage. Yes. A Gladiator is that is fits the, all the truck needs, and yet it's a Jeep product. So it's like yep. Holman's fantasy, and yet you went with the JL. No, the for a few reasons. I feel like. Uh, the Gladiator rear suspension, it could be better. It feels like it's first generation. But you could have fixed it, that. No, I know. There are aftermarket companies for what I'm doing. You could have called it. Shane. But it's also really long, so it's less maneuverable on the trail. You've more, driven long beds. It's more expensive than uh, JL is anyway. And the aftermarket at the time, two years ago, was still relatively raw. And even today, there's a lot of stuff for Gladiators, especially stuff that crosses over with Jeep, but not everything. So- the way I wanted to build it out, the Wrangler was the better option than the Gladiator for me at the time. And um, Do you look back and wish you had considered the Gladiator just a little more? No. Oh, really? To- totally happy with the Wrangler. No remorse at all? Nope. Huh. Does everything I want it to do and has all the space I need and maneuverable. That thing is uh, so amazingly capable. 
yet still a good, you know, decent daily driver and does everything off road mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So uh, no, I, that's uh, I, I've got the jail. I'm happy with it. What would I have chosen otherwise? Well, I think they, the easy answer is jail. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, I would have looked at an AV Prospector XL, but they're too big. I love that truck. The ride, the capability, everything about it is amazing. Why do you say it's too big? You just physically for I just, your driveway I and everything? Yeah. I, well, it's just too much truck for me. I just I don't need a three-quarter ton truck. Uh, would I love it? I mean, I would love to do a PXL based on a power wagon because then you get the lockers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that would be awesome, but then you can't get the diesel, and so fuel economy is not great, and so there's a little bit of too much trade-off. Now, I really like in the midsize class, if the interior wasn't so junky and the tires weren't so small, uh, ZR2. So I hate to go back to the AV well, but an AV Bison with 35s with their fender cut kit. Yeah, but you're still getting that junky interior. Uh, I I get it, but the rest of the truck's awesome. The Multimatics on it are are really incredible. Um, You can fit a 35 with the AV fenders on it. You can put a GoFast in the back. Um, the 3.6 liter is a great V6. Uh, so powertrain with the eight speed is, is really nice. Plenty of power. Right. Um, and they're really capable off-road. They're the great, you know, they've got front and rear lockers from the factory already. Um, they're super tossable and nimble and all that stuff. So surprisingly enough, I do something ZR2. Either ZR2 I'd build up or go ZR2 Bison as an AV build. Because as much as I love the pro, the power wagon, as much as I love the Ford Tremor, which is an amazing package. Like we said with Shane, yeah, just I, I'd change the shocks and oh, I would be done oh. with it. But no, it's too big. I don't need a three-quarter yeah. ton truck. Yeah. I'm not towing anything or anything like that. I like to go on some pretty tight technical trails uh, and I just don't need anything that big. So mm. in the midsize class, Ranger's currently a no for me. Um, I dislike that interior a lot and you know the ride's really marshmallowy. Um, although the Ranger Tremor's not bad. That's a pretty nice little package. But it just feels like a international truck that was brought to America, which is exactly what it is. Right. The ZR2 came here, was developed here. I had some early access to it. I know the engineers behind it. And I'm not a necessarily a huge GM guy, but then I'm not into the Tacoma at all. Like it's old and, and junky. New Frontier, believe it or not. Yeah. If there was some more inner, you know, if there was as much aftermarket support as we're starting to see little uh, sparkles I, I of a SEMA. I feel like we are going to see some yeah. for the, the, the first in a, in a really long overdue time. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to see, like, I, for me, it would be, let's say I couldn't do a, a ZR2 or a AV Bison. I would like to do the Nismo package on the Frontier with the Bill Steins on it that you can get from the factory. Mm-hmm. Upper control arm, 33s on it. Give it a nice, like, two-inch lift in the front. And then do a you know full on you know overland build on that. I think that could be pretty cool too. So, I guess the 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 simple answer is uh, there is no simple answer. HD too big. Yeah, midsize probably just right, but I get more room in my Wrangler and a half ton. As much as I love the TRX out there, and as nice as the F one fifty is, and the Ram fifteen hundred, and even the new Silverado ZR two, also don't necessarily need that much. I need something between a midsize and a full size. And really, the Wrangler, in terms of interior comfort and volume and stuff, sort of is that, because it's it's compact, pretty compact, but it's wide. So I don't know. I just uh, that's a good question. You got a guy. You got a. What I'm seeing here is, and I'm hearing, is that you're happy with your purchase. I mean, yeah. There's just nothing that would have properly substituted. Honestly, if I was going to wait for anything, I'd wait for the Wrangler 392. Mm. That thing is a beast. Probably gets the same fuel economy as I'm yeah. getting now, but it probably does. Uh, the thing is incredible. So yeah, there you have it. 
All right, well, Holman and I are both going to uh, crawl up in uh, balls in our respective beds and just... Uh, or right here in the studio. Or just, it, might, it might be right here on our couch of death. The Truck Show, The Truck Show, The Truck Show, oh, oh. He's at LBC Lighting. I'm at Sean P. Holman. We are The Truck Show Podcast. We want to hear from you. Call our five-star hotline, 657-205-6105, or send us an email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. What he said. I just can't go on. I know. I'm trying to get through it for you. <laughs> all right, here I'm gonna I'm gonna nail all these uh, sponsor. Reads. I have never dude, watch watch me go. Okay, all right. You, you ready? Right. Well, yeah. Hold on. Let me do this. No, no. Let the bed go. No, no, no whoa. No, no. Why'd no. you feel the bed? No, no, no bed. You're gonna. Uh, all right, I'll keep no. going. There we go. Okay. There. All right, guys. Thank our friends over at Nissan. If you're in the market for a half ton or half ton plus truck, you want the Nissan Titan, Nissan Titan XD with those zero gravity seats, that spray and bed liner, the Fender audio system, the most. V8 standard horsepower in its class and a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And if you want this size, you want to go for the Nissan Frontier. We like the Nissan Frontier Pro 4X. They're hard to find right now, but really awesome little trucks. You get that uh, best-in-class 310 horsepower from the 3.8-liter V6 backed by the nine-speed automatic transmission. Again, zero-gravity seats, Fender audio system, utility track, spray and bed liner, all the stuff you get on big truck, get on the little truck. You go, Awesome package. Head on over to your local dealer, <laughs> NissanUSA.com. You can build and price. And, hey, Lightning, check this out. Did you know that Duralast, it's not just a house brand. It's the leading brand in the automotive aftermarket. No for its OE quality, OE-grade construction, but priced lower than the OE parts. They are trusted by hundreds of thousands of professionals and installed on, get this, and installed on millions of vehicles on the road today. 83% of professional installers rank Duralast as a high-quality parts brand. And more technicians choose Duralast Parts. So you can, too, DuralastParts.com, where you can find everything from tools with lifetime warranties to uh, oil filters and struts and electronics and pretty much everything you need to get your old truck back on the road. And last but not least, shout-out to our friends over at Banks Power. That's right, I'm talking to you, Lightning. This is your brand, and I'm going to hand this one over to you because I don't have talking points yet. Well, I need to write those talking points. Since 1958, Mr. Gail Banks has been making performance parts for all of the popular trucks, from uh, the Nissan Titan to our uh, full-size Ram with a 6.7-liter Cummins diesel. Did you hear that? That was not a 6.7 diesel. No, what is that? Listen. Oh, they probably can't hear it. The motorcycle? motorcycle? Picking up. Yeah. No, Sounds that, like it has no, a blower. No, that... Somebody, uh, that, that's a big somebody steal my uh, TRX? You guys probably can't hear it. There's a, there's a, there's a car outside with a blower or something. Yeah, it could yeah, be a it could Ripping be a up and down the street yeah. outside our studio. Yeah. Do you think it's uh, super turbo, like uh, your bank's crate engine? Uh, no, well, that's, we haven't released the super turbo yet. That's not Gale in the back, just it, racing that, up and down, that would taunting our podcast? That would be funny. It would be yes. funny. Uh, the crate engine will be released next year. That's not ready yet. That will be a supercharged Duramax-based uh, Banks R866. Super turbocharged. No, no, just supercharged. Oh, you're not you're, no turbos? No. I thought you were doing turbos and supercharging. Yes, that's the that's stage three. Oh boy, I'm so confused. That's this is why we gonna... need this is why we need your talking points down. So I'm less confused about all the cool stuff coming out. Well, listen, we're not. I don't really want to talk about the, the, that engine just yet because you can't buy it. That's that's. But next you just year. had it at SEMA. Well, that was to wet everyone's whistle. My whistle is wet, and we had eye dashes in there. What did you just say? My whistle is my wet. whistle is wet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds gross. Thanks. Dry that whistle up. <laughs> listen. Listen, go to bankspower.com, insert your vehicle, your make model, and you can see all the different products that Banks has for you. Everything from bolt-on accessories, 
such as your RAM Air diff cover and some amazing electronics instrumentation like the iDash, which will display everything that your dashboard does not. And a bunch of stuff you don't even know you need. You do need it. No, but you helpful. don't know you need it until you have one of the gauges. And, and then you, go, you can't live without it. There's 78 pages of parameters that I can add on this thing. Yeah, up to up to eight parameters per screen with five customizable screens. That means you've got 40 parameters at the touch of a button. So you're like your regen frequency, how much def you're using, what, at what rate, um, when you're going to regen. I next like time, uh, OBD2 check engine light clearing on the fly. Well, that's super handy. That is super handy. Faux show. So that is all at bankspower.com. All right, well, uh, great show considering both of us are near death after uh, contracting um, tiredness from SEMA. Uh, lightning is... No, we're not done yet. We still have a couple minutes. We have a couple minutes. Lightning, lightning. Well, at least he lasted through uh, episode 201. That's, that's a good run with, uh, with him as a host. I wonder who I can get now. Huh. Okay, I feel better. I'm I'm here. I'm 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 back. I'm back. I'm right. I'm, I'm okay. No, I like you uh, better when you're quiet. That's not cool. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. I that that that